you be slimy? Yeah, I just have, mate. You're recording now. So, what, 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 just, do you want me to say about the sponsor here? Or do you want to do the actual intro? Yeah, just, just tell, tell us who our sponsor is and what they do. Big good place to start. Okay, yeah, so guys, we've got a sponsor for this uh, episode. It's GD Robbins Kitchens and Carpentry. Uh, it's a local base. Uh, look, start again. It's not it's not the same local, is it? It's not yeah, it's it's pretty silly, really. Stupid, stupid mugs. Stupid. What were they called? GD Robbins Kitchens and Carpentry. Right. And where are they based? Based in Bangladesh. So I was going to say they're Bristol based. Yeah, yeah, carry on. Okay, guys, yeah, we have a sponsor for this uh, this episode. It's GD Robbins Kitchens and Carpentry. They're based in Bristol. Um, years of kitchen uh, fitting and carpentry experience. So um, thanks to the, uh, the guys there um, for uh, helping us out with that. We'll put some details of their Facebook page on social media. Um, so, yeah, anyone listening needs a bit of kitchen um, fitting or a bit of carpentry done, give them a call. What were they called? The GD Robbins Double B, uh, Double B IMS, Kitchen and Carpentry. You better give him a call. How, how do we give him a call? I don't know what the number is. Well, as I said, I'll put that on social media. There we go. So, do they have a website? They don't have a website, but they've got a Facebook page. You say, well, we'll link all that up. And um, yeah, if you need anything doing, um, the, the, he will travel. Um, so, if you're local to Bristol, or, you know, within the area. He's only doing his own fucking kitchen over and over again, is he? <laughs> yeah, no, I know he's, he's, he has done work in South Wales in the past, so he, he will travel across young George. Um, cracking guy, uh, very skilled at what he does. Um, so, yeah, you need any carpentry work or you need a, a kitchen fitted, then get in touch with the guys at G.D. Robbins Kitchens and Carpentry. Well done, mate. <laughs> Smash that. You can stop recording if you want that, Ollie. Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Totem Bar podcast. Today, we are joined by another special guest. We have been joined by the Gloucester County Cricket Player, England Bio Bubble member, and two-time Young Player, Young Player of the Year Award winner for Gloucester County Cricket Club. It's Mr. James Bracey. Hello, oh, James. You all right? Oh, uh, boys, you all right? Yeah, you okay? Oh. Good, thanks. Cheers for coming on, mate. No problem at all. We've got Luke and Monksy. Hello, mate. How are we doing? You So we, we sort of thought we go through clips and stuff, but it takes quite a period of time. And obviously, if you if you don't got something to do or whatever, we can do the clips ourselves and we'll just have a little chat about sport in general, really. We've got a couple of questions for you or whatever and just have a chat. Is that right? Yeah, mate, that's perfect. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, All right. So, yeah. We... Where are you at the minute, James? Uh, I'm at home. All oh, right. What's that on the wall? Is that a map? Yeah, it's my grounds map. Oh, wow. And is it, is it one of those you, like, scrub out as and when you go to them? You just scratch off the ones you've been to. I've got data, actually. There's a couple on there that I haven't scratched off yet. How many have you done? I reckon, looking at it, I've probably done 30 or so. A cricket one as well, so all the grounds I've played out, I've got um, ticked off as well. I'm a bit of a badger, so... Wi-Fi's not so good in my room, so I'm going to just um, switch off and 
is. Yeah, for me. No worries. How is. That should be better. Yeah, for another. Yeah, seems alright. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. You got. So, should we do like a little. Yeah, one? I've got scratch map for everything. Do you want to do like a little intro, like you explain. How do we want, how do you want us to like, um, when we put it out, cross the sugar cricketer? Yeah. By bubble members, something like that? Yeah, something like that, mate, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, that cross like cricketers, pretty good, yeah. Yeah. yeah Two time okay. young, young player of the year winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I can't call myself that anymore, sadly. Last year I can win it. Is what, this year was the last year you can win it? I think so. I'm not too sure, but I'm assuming it's under 23, possibly. So, yeah, yeah. Um, that ship sailed, sadly. <laughs> You'll have to go and win the players' player or the or the or the fashion. Yeah, win, win the grown-up awards now. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, is there anything just before we start? Anything you, you don't want to talk about? Anything you you don't want to be asked asked questions on at all? No, nah, man, easy. Anything you've got for us, boys? Anyone want to sort of take it away with with an initial question? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. So, first question, James, just really around how you found the bio bubble, really. Is there any big yeah. jokers in the group, or? Uh, yeah, it was good. I mean, it's obviously a bit daunting at first. It was like a, a big step up. I'd sort of got chucked into the deep end. I hadn't really met a lot of big, bigger names before. So, um, that was tough or sort of a bit awkward the first couple of weeks sort of bedding in. Um, but it was really enjoyable. Obviously, you spend a lot of time with people, so. I've almost sort of got to know people like you've been away with them sort of for a whole year, really. Like you've spent that much time with them. Um, jokers wise, I mean, Mark Wood's always, always good, good value. I mean, he's always, um, you always see on social media the crazy like, stuff he gets up to. So he's pretty good. Um, but they're all pretty, um, they're a good bunch, like some sort of Butler and, and Anderson sort of provide humor in, in their own ways. And I think everyone sort of, Everyone gets them really well. There's no, there's no bad links or anything like that. So um, it's a really good dressing room to be in. I was going to ask on that just quickly. At the start of his sort of England career, Flintoff was quite famous for saying that he walked into the England dressing room the first time and ended up getting changed in the utility room because the the sort of it was really clicky and he didn't really feel like he fit. He, he sort of fit in. Is that is that completely yeah. different now? Is it is it like a like like the England football team are quite a big family now, or is it or is it still quite? Did, you, did it take a while to settle in? Yeah, I mean the word clicky is obviously like taken as negative a lot of time. I think in Flintoff's aspect, it, it sounds like it was. I think there is clicks in any squad. So, you know, for the likes of Broad and Anderson, they're very close because, you know, they're two open bowlers. They've, they're similar ages. They've spent a lot of time together. But it doesn't segregate them from the rest of the group. So when you're in a changing room with everyone, it's, it's a good um, atmosphere and, and no one's sort of left out or anything. Obviously, I was one of maybe two or three lads who was really new to the setup and um, I was made to feel welcome and everyone Everyone embraced me being there um, as much as anyone else. Did Did you know you were um, in line for a bio bubble, uh, like an England call up, or was it? Um, bit, did you know, or was it a surprise? Yeah, it was a surprise. I mean, I played in the Lions this winter, so you sort of get the the gist of like you're close. Um, but obviously, it was such un un unexpected circumstances that you know it wasn't. I wasn't expecting to be around an England setup first thing this summer um i'd sort of in your head you have a plan of it and i thought maybe you know a good season with gloss and back end of the summer if there's test matches or next winter 
you might um you might sneak in. But um yeah, I mean I got a call about sort of when the fifty five man group was put out and no one really knew what that meant. So there was always a chance from there, but um obviously good to get in. It was almost helped me that I was part of bigger groups and then I was able to prove myself and sort of whittle myself down to what was in the end eighteen lads. So when you had the initial what was it like when you made your Sorry, go on, go on, Andy. Go on, mate. Sorry. No, let's say, what was it like when you actually got out on the on the pitch and, um, you know, a swath man and actually took that catch? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, that was good. It was obviously the last test of the summer. It had been a long slog, like 10 weeks, um, having sort of watched a lot of test cricket, which was brilliant. Um, but also, you know, watching Gloss play back elsewhere and not being able to be a part of that is quite frustrating at times. Um, but yeah, it was nice, really nice to get on the field, obviously, for, um, for Jimmy's, um, like 600 wicket, um, the catch at the end as well. It sort of, um, yeah, it, it really sort of summed up the summer and made me sort of realize that it was a, a really good one for me. It was a good grab that catch, to be fair, wasn't it? Yeah, I'd had enough practice, mate. I got lobbed it. I've been lobbed in there plenty of times. I mean, it's always the young, the young lad who gets lobbed in there. So when I was first in, uh, the gloss team and not keeping and just sort of, no one else wants it. You just get put in there, so I've had plenty of practice, thankfully. Yeah, fair play. So I've seen that your Twitter and also Ben Stokes put some out about Mark Saxby. Yeah. England, is he the player support coach or whatever? How crucial was he in, like, keeping morale and spirit up in the bubble and stuff? Yeah, Sax is one of those people who just goes under the radar. You don't really um associate sort of a, a staff group you don't really think about, you know, a player welfare officer, essentially. Um, in a lot of surroundings, it might not seem as important, you know, if you're touring abroad or um, you've got free reign to do things. Obviously, there's less scope for sort of um, driving yourself insane, essentially. But this summer was obviously a bit different. Um, he's been really helpful for lads for the past 15 years. He's also the masseuse, so that's sort of how he got into the, into the role. Um, and it's sort of a dual role he does now, so... He was brilliant. Like he's one of the great guys, um, and it's nice. He's that sort of in, that balance between a, a staff member, but also impartial enough that you can sort of confide in him as well. And um, he's got great humour, and he's he was brilliant for us this summer. So is, was he almost the the um, link between the playing group and the staff group there? Yeah, a lot of the time he runs sort of a lot of projects. He's run a lot around sort of. Um, Black Lives Matter and that sort of thing in the last in the last few weeks, and he's putting a load of community projects together as well as that link between um, us and the management and the the higher ECB staff. Yeah, fair play. So I don't have any more questions about the bio bubble. I'm quite keen to talk about glass. Have you got any more England bio bubble questions, Monty Luke? No, no, no. I mean, I just go on, go on, go on Luke. No, I've got one quickly. I'm thinking, you know, you're coming in, were you 22 when you went into the, to the bubble, weren't you? And you're, um, um you're facing, you're facing Jimmy Anderson for hours and you're, you know, nicking him and putting him away for, for 85. How have you not come in with like the biggest head in the world? How do you remain like grounded and thinking, are you just thinking, I've just got to get this next ball away? Or are you thinking, I'm on 85, I could, I could, I could nick 100 here and that's going to make me look amazing. Like, do, is the mental side of the game something you're working on? Is it something that you just, you don't really, you, you're in the zone and you're just going to keep playing? Or are you thinking, I'm looking good here? Yeah, it's massive. And I think it's highlighted so much more recently is like everyone sees it as like the big thing at the moment. Sports psychology is so on the rise that it's sort of in every conversation you have. There's so much support for it. 
Um, and sort of when you're trying to find that extra edge, it's, it's what people tend to go to. Um, when I went out there, I mean, I had literally no expectations that day. So I was, one, not really expecting to play, two, not expecting to bat, three, definitely not expecting to open bat. So like, I went out there with pretty low expectations, freedom, and I think that played into my hands in the end. Um, I mean, regarding coming off big-headed, I came off absolutely, like, delighted, obviously. But, you know, you're soon brought back down to earth, and the next day you're in the nets, and they're all nicking you off again. So, I mean, it's, it's like, it was a stepping stone. It was a really big confidence boost for me, because you sort of realise that, you know, you are, you're close and you're good enough. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's obviously, there's a lot of things like, you know, bowlers were getting up to match fitness, um, a test match will obviously be very different, so it's good to know that I can do it. Um, but yeah, I've obviously got to continue to stay humble and, and resilient and work my way into uh, the test side now. You say you were expecting to open the batting. Where would you say is your best batting position? Because you've batted them a few places, haven't you? Yeah, um, I mean, up the top, yeah, top three, anywhere in the top three, and I'm I'm happy. I think that's where my skill set's sort of best suited. Um, I mean, that day I sort of looked at the 30 players we had and I was in my head, like, trying to work out who was going to do what. Um, and I don't know, I just didn't, I, again, I didn't really know whether I was there as a keeper, whether I was there as a batter, what, what they really saw me as. So that was a nice boost that they sort of had the same, similar opinions to what, where my strengths lie. And, um, yeah, it's, it's nice to have shown people in a wider sort of community outside of Gloucestershire and outside of the, the ECB setup that, you know, I'm there and I'm I'm good enough to do it. Yeah, because I, I I watched the game on um on, on the sort of video and the number of fans commenting from other counties and saying, yeah. "Who's this bloke? Where's he suddenly come from?" You know, and it, it kind of annoys me as a Gloucester fan because we've had it for years and years and years. You know, we got some had some cracking players over the years, mm-hmm. and they never really get the um, recognition they deserve. I don't think so. I'm, I'm I'm, I'm hoping and we're on you to go and get into the English side, but what's the first time probably since, since Jack, probably? Yeah, well, there's, yeah, I mean, I think John Lewis played a couple of tests, um, 2005. Was the yes, last did, yeah. Obviously, yeah, we haven't had a massive sort of, um, representation in the, in the national side. So I think we've got a lot of players at the moment that, uh, you know, with our increased stature at the moment, um, and the side and squad we've got, there's definitely three or four lads who, uh, close as well as me um, so hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll start to see that How big was the confidence issue obviously you came through the sort of the university route didn't you you didn't come through the necessarily um, the, the academy side you've gone away you've done yeah. your degree and scored runs at university how big was the, the confidence issue was that was that really playing on your mind thinking these guys have been playing test cricket for, for the best part of 14-15 years and you're coming in there right at the start of your career and obviously going through a, a, a fairly unique route into, into the game how, how did that what were you thinking about that? Was that even on your mind at all? Yeah, I feel like I'd almost gone under the radar, and I think a lot of the lads who I was in there with, you know, the, your Stokes's, Broads, Anderson's, Roots, these guys wouldn't have seen a massive amount of me, um, if any. I mean, Silverwood even, I don't think, had really seen much of me at all. I think he'd been advised on the back of, you know, Lions tours and trips away, and the selectors had seen a bit of me, so I was obviously thankful for that. Um, Confidence-wise, I mean, yes, I've sort of had a quite a steep rise, so um at each stage that maybe I have had a bit of a down put, I've always had something to keep working towards. I'm obviously aware that that's not going to always be the case, and it at some point will start to plateau or dip or anything like that. So got to remember that you know 
where I've got to in the last three years, and that's definitely something that will will keep me um keep me grounded, but aware that I can do it. What What do you do during the winter? Obviously, we're in the start of November. Do you have a couple of months off now, or do you work all winter? So usually, in normal circumstances, we'd have October off um, fully, and then go back in what would have been Monday, and go from there. You'd have your winter tests and fitness and that sort of stuff. Mostly fitness up until Christmas, a bit of bit of indoor stuff, and then training, camp, um, preseason tour, going into the season. Um, obviously, this year is different. We've been put on furlough, so um, we've got November off as well. All our S and C stuff's being done remotely, so we've got to do it with the help of them, but at, at home. Um, I'm hoping that obviously with tests after Christmas, that I'll possibly be in contention, and there might be. Um, scope for some England prep before Christmas, but um, I'm still waiting on that and know that squads will be selected, you know, sometime before Christmas. That's like things so- were normal. Would you consider going down, say, Australia and, and playing for a club side down there or, um, you know, in, over to the subcontinent, maybe India or Pakistan? Yeah, that's very common. So a lot of the lads usually go and play grade cricket, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. Um, I did so 20. Uh, prior to the 2019 season, I went over to Perth. So that's a great, sort of a great reason. I think counties are very flexible with that. They encourage you to go and do that. It's very competitive. Um, and obviously to continue playing all year round is going to be great for you coming back to England. So a lot of lads would usually do that. Um, I think only a couple are doing that this year because obviously visas are a nightmare to get hold of and it's just all a bit of a faff really. So. Uh, a lot of the lads are remaining here and, and going to do stuff, um, hopefully when we get the chance indoors. You sort of mentioned that there's three or four other Gloucester lads, unless I misunderstood, that uh, you think have got that potential to go towards England squad. Which three or four are you referring to? Yeah, I mean, obviously, no others have had any um, recognition as such so far. Um, but I think on sort of form and... I think if we'd have had a full summer this year, it would have been very different. I think, you know, David Payne's white ball form has been unbelievable the last few years. And I think as a left arm option, there's not many better than him right now. Obviously, you've got, um, you've got the likes of Reese Topley and David Willey, who are probably, uh, Sam Curran, who are probably ahead of him at the moment. Um, but I know that he's sort of, um, on the radar and he's got the ability, you know, to bowl quick swing the ball, bowl at the end, bowl at the start. He's very adaptable and I think he's one that could um could definitely find a role on that side. Um, you know, Ryan Higgins is probably the most consistent performer in the country at the moment. Um Chris Dent's been a big run score for us for the last seven or eight years. So in a time where opening batsmen seem quite hard to come by, he's one that I think a big season in Division One will put him in really good stead as well. Were you, um, were you, obviously the boys were at Gloss were quite disappointed not to get a full run out in Div 1 this year. It seems like it's going to be the same sort of thing with the regional leagues again next year, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think as much as it would have been nice to play, um, in that, you know, that upper bracket, I think the fact that the level playing field now, everyone's got eyes on everyone. Um, Division 1, Division 2 is mixed, but it means everyone's in the same boat. So there's no, argument about, you know, he's scoring runs at a higher level, he's scoring runs at a lower level. It's it's all leveled out, so it's it's good for us. It'd have been nice to test yourselves against the best sides every week and hopefully at some point that format will come back in. But um for now, you know, we can 
to win the competition, we've got to beat the best sides, like Somerset, Essex, Lanx, Yorkshire. So um, hopefully next year we can we can do that. We've got quite a tough group by the looks of it. Do you think that has a good um, could have a positive impact on Gloucester players having the, the opportunity to go to to go with England? That maybe you could put the accusation of Gloucester players that they haven't scored runs in Div One. That'd be maybe what the selectors would think about Chris Dent in particular. The fact it's a regional group, mm. he's going to be facing the best attacks, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And at the moment, it might be slightly different because, you know, it was a shortened season. You had the likes of of myself and Dan Lawrence and Ben Folks and those guys all in the bubble, so didn't have opportunities to play. Um, but yeah, definitely going forward, if we get a full season next summer, it's, um, it's every man sort of in the pot and whoever gets off to the best start and shows themselves to be in good form, you know, could find themselves in the test side within, within a few games. Yeah, definitely. Who's in the dressing room at Gloss? Who's the big joker? Um, there's a few. I mean, there's some, some good characters. I mean, we've got a really tight bunch. So, um, everyone's sort of, um, it's definitely probably the best dressing room I've been a part of. Uh, if I include sort of, uh, you know, my university days, my club days and all that, I just, I love it in there. Um, here goes a big joker. He's just absolutely mental. Um, just like crazy, angry ginger. So he's just always offering loads. Uh, Graham Van Buren, like the nicest guy on earth, but he's always winding everyone up. Um, Chris Dent's like a 10 year old. He's just a child. So he's, he's got some good banter as well. <laughs> Considering he's the skipper, you wouldn't realize it. So the stuff he does, he's just got so much energy. Um, but yeah, there's, there's plenty. And I think, you know, the likes of Tom Lace has just come into the dressing room. We haven't spent that much time with him, but he's fitted in really well. And, um, you can tell that he's going to be a, a bit of a clown as well. How can you, how hard did you speak of the MCCU scheme that you came through? Yeah, massive. I think obviously it's changed now. The funding's been cut and, um, I think it's been taken over by the ECB rather than the MCC. So I don't know really how it looks now. Um, but from when I was there and I know my brother did it as well. Um, a lot of guys who were at Loughborough in my time and now playing county cricket, I think in my second year, nine of our team are now playing in county cricket. So. That sort of shows how effective it can be. Uh, I think the stats like 26% of county cricketers came through it. Um, so I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's a very useful tool for guys who one are out of the system or two want to pursue education as well. Um, it's a shame that, you know, funding's being cut and it's not being noticed or given first class status. But for me personally, it was the perfect timing. Uh, for my development, and obviously I came out of it in a in a really good spot. Definitely. So I've I'm not sure why I read it to to be honest, but have you been doing some work with Jack Russell? Uh, I mean, I've always done a bit on and off. I haven't done a lot in the last few years because he's sort of got more into his artwork. He did a lot of work with uh, a bit of work with Middlesex. Um, he sort of it's one of those now. I worked with him when I was sort of fifteen, sixteen. Um, but sort of see him around the grounds and always stop for a chat and he's always one I like to pick brains off. So um he's a great guy. I always sort of see him on social media now and and communicate with him a bit that way. Um but yeah, he's a definitely a, a useful tool and a, a really good guy to to take them from. Yeah, it's obviously nice to have what, probably one of the best keepers ever, um, complimenting your work. So uh I really enjoyed that. Um he's obviously a, a traditionalist, likes likes classic keeping. Um, and I think sort of guys like to think of me as like, if 
following in his footsteps, you know, Black Gloves, Gloucestershire, Bristol, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's nice to be, um, to be compared to him from time to time. That's a real honor. And obviously to have him compliment me on social media is obviously really, um, really good as well. You, you're not planning to bring out the bucket hat anytime soon down the stumps? I'd love to wear a bucket hat behind the stumps, but sadly I don't think Gloss are going to start wearing any anytime soon. I'm, <laughs> I'm partial to a floppy behind there, but not quite his levels. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a big move, wouldn't it, I think? <laughs> so, another question i got for you. You've got one list day wicket to your name, haven't you? Yeah, I have, yeah. Talk us through that. Not, not known for yeah. your bowling, to be fair. Not known for my bowling, and if you saw it, you'd understand why, mate. Trust me. Um, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've always bowled a little bit at club level, but got a bit of an obscure action, so the lads just sort of take the piss. Um, and then I think it was... Um, maybe the week prior to that game, I sort of just had a bowl in the nets, just like, I think I'd sort of done my prep and, um, struggling for balls. And I was throwing and I was like, oh, I'll have a bowl. Managed to get a couple of the lads out, sort of, they were all just laughing. Um, then, then he got injured, I think, halfway through the innings. GV then bowled an over, which, uh, went for quite a few, so, Denty was sort of panicking, he was having a right flap on, and, he had like the option of me or himself um to bowl and Denty bowls like decent left arm spin really. Uh, he can do a bit of everything. He's bowled quite a lot previously, so I don't really know why he didn't bowl himself. He doesn't like being whacked out of the park or anything, so he's a bit a bit scared of bowling. <laughs> but um yeah, decided he'd let me bowl, which at the time just seemed suicidal, especially when my first ball was five wides. Um <laughs> I shot, it down, shot it down the ass, down the leg side, Rodders was just like Come on. Um, but yeah, I managed to get Dan Lawrence out, caught cover, which was, seems now like a pretty good scout because he's absolutely flying. Yeah. He's probably in line to be the next one, really, the next England batter to, to make a debut. So yeah, that was a pleasure. And I took pleasure in telling him about it this summer. <laughs> yeah, because you obviously in the bio club with him. Did you, did you room on your own? I'm presuming. Yeah, everything was on our own. So, um, yeah, it was a case of there was a couple of social areas which were obviously massive spaces that um help, you know, distancing and that sort of stuff. But yeah, we got all our rooms to ourselves which which was nice. Um, especially at the Rose Bowl, it's a lovely hotel, so um we were treated treated very nicely. No, so all good stuff. You got any questions, Monksy? Luke? Yeah, I got a few, yeah. So you mentioned your brother earlier. Um yeah. I know he played for Card at Met, did he did he was he ever close to making it as well or was yeah, he not I, quite not quite up to your level. <laughs> yeah, I think at the time, sort of, he's three years older, so he sort of went through the system before me. Um, he was sort of the opposite to me. So, whereas I'm a sort of batting's my strength, keeping's was my sort of second string, but I've I've managed to sort of work really hard on that. He was the opposite, so he's a really really naturally talented keeper, um, and sort of always had to work hard on his batting. Um, he did really well. For a couple of years, in the academy in the second eleven, um, and he was just sort of at a time where it was that sort of transition between being a wicketkeeper and being a bat, sort of a batter who could keep, and that sort of became more of a more desirable to clubs. So he lost out in the end to um, to a couple of other guys at Gloss, um, sort of Richard Coftry, Cam Herring, just before Rodders joined, really. Um, so yeah, he was he was a bit unlucky, I think, but. Um, he went away to Cardiff, played some first class cricket and sort of didn't really work out for him. Um 
as I said, he was sort of caught in the wrong era. I think if he'd have played 15 years before, his glove work alone would have 100% got him a contract somewhere. I can feel his pain. That was, that was the same as me. I was a good keeper. I cooked batter toffee. <laughs> <laughs> I was a weird keeper that batted at 9 and 10, which obviously nowadays yeah. is absolutely no good whatsoever. No, no. Yeah. you don't see many of them these days. How did you get into the MCCU yeah. scheme? Was it you went there to do your course and then you got a, you were spotted at Loughborough? Did you go to Loughborough with the intention of getting on this scheme? Yeah, I went with the intention. So I was sort of on the academy at Gloss, but like just been signed not really playing any second level cricket at all. So it didn't really look like getting a contract. Um so obviously Loughborough's like renowned for being best in the country. Um there's obviously six centres, but I sort of decided what course I wanted to do and then looked at the options from there. So it was gonna be either Loughborough, Exeter or Leeds. Um and I just sort of looked at Loughborough and it's just like it's a sports campus. Everything's just sport, 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 sport. So it suited me down to the ground and I went there sort of hoping to get in but understood that it was high competition levels. Um managed to get in the first year which was really good. Like the the training program's almost more intense than the county program, so um I loved it. Um it was obviously you got you all work hard on your cricket, you got your studies and then you just get pissed out of the time. So it was ideal in my first year when I wasn't playing but I got all the benefits of it. Um and then once I managed to play a couple of games for Gloss, I managed to work my way in in the second year. What did you study? Go on. Uh, I sports science and business management, which I enjoyed, um, and I'm definitely going to look to do something with it. Um, I'm looking to sort of start planning my master's in the next year or two um, when I get sort of a free few months. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the moment, I haven't done masses with it, but I certainly will be going forward, which is... Can't be said for a lot of people, so. It's a great thing to pull back on as well, isn't it? Having that, that second plan. I don't know, probably sound like your mum there, but that is, it is so important, isn't it? Um, at that age. Who's the, who's the varsity team that Loughborough University plays against? So we didn't actually have a varsity cricket. Um, it's a weird one. So like for, um, other sports, um, hockey, rugby, football, um, athletics, uh, they play against Durham. Oh, so it's quite um, another sporting union then. Yeah, so it's called like D-Day or whatever they call it. But, um, yeah. Durham, it's almost like Durham are quite isolated as well, where they are. Um, there's like Newcastle and Northumbria play against each other. Uh, you've got obviously the Leeds unis play against each other, Manchester and Liverpool. So where we are is sort of not, uh, Nottingham and Nottingham Trent. It's Leicester and De Montfort. So we're sort of, the one that's left. Um, but cricket, we didn't actually have a varsity, which was a bit of a shame because I get told about people who have played in it and they say it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But can you imagine being going to one of the other universities and you, you know, you're coming up against people who are in a training program to make them professional sports people? You know, yeah. the Loughborough creates Olympic, Olympic champions and you're going up and you're studying, I don't know, you're studying drama and you, you just, you, you just play, you know, so it's football for like uh, under 10s level. You, you played at grassroots and then you're coming up against Julio Arca. Like, yeah. Can you imagine how like mad that must be? You must get battered. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, um, yeah, it's obviously happening in a lot of sports now, um, where unis play against main sides and all sorts of crap. So yeah, yeah we, we played against. Um, it's mental. Like we played a pre-season game and, uh, in my first year, so the main MCCU side were away. Um, so it was almost like our second team. So we like padded it out with 
the lads in the squad who weren't playing and sort of some of the club lads. We had a couple of lads who played like 13 cricket, like, they're like just there for the social, uh, and rocked up and we were playing against Knots 2, so it was a lot of their young lads. But it turned out Stuart Brawl, Chris Reed, and, um, Jake Ball, I think it was, were coming back from injury, so they all just rocked up and played. And you've just got these blokes there and they're just absolutely pulling themselves. It's just like crapping it. Um, so yeah, you get those moments. I mean, you get them in club cricket as well. Cause like, obviously gloss lads are allowed to play in the local, the weapon, the league. So yeah. you get like gloss and Somerset players playing on Saturday and you just see the way club lads react to them. And it's just brilliant. Yeah, I can remember they play in a game. I can remember playing a game for French, um, yeah. rocking up and, um, uh, they had, um, I can't remember who it was, there was some guy, uh, Pakistani with the overseas player. And two days after he played for us, he got called up for the Pakistan team because they were over here playing the test match yeah. and he had an injury. And three days yeah. ago, we bowled, earlier, he bowled at me and I'm thinking, what's yeah. going on here? Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Like, some of the things that turn out, like, some of the guys who have played in these leagues over here are just, just mental. Because you played for Winterbourne, James, didn't you? Yeah, I still do when I'm, when I'm around. Obviously, this, not this summer, but the summer before, um, me and Denty both played for Winterbourne, yeah. Because obviously my local sort of Weppel club is down in, and they've had, um, I think they've had, I can't remember they've had, but they sort of had Gloucester players all the time. I've seen Ryan Higgins walking around the boundary with a beer in hand on a yeah. number of occasions. Well, like, a lot of the Gloss lads play for down in, so, um, like, lads who aren't, who don't necessarily play club for park and go up and watch them, um, like, so at the moment, um, last year it was, uh, so Callum Gregory's their captain who used to be on the staff at Gloss. Um, so, uh, Miles Hammond was playing there, Coey was playing there, um, and in the past sort of Craig Miles played there. So yeah, a lot of the lads sort of get drafted there. Um, I mean, it's, it's crazy that they rock up and play at down end every week because it's just absolutely tiny. So, um, they always get played when they come back and don't get any runs. <laughs> um, go as far as to say that boundary towards, well, the both sides actually, they're the smallest boundaries I've ever seen. Yeah, they're, they're ridiculous. And I mean, we've played a couple of second team games there and it's just been absolutely ridiculous. I think we always take the mick out of Hamo because when we la- we played the last Tuesday game there, it was probably 2017 and we played T20 there. Or it might have been a 50 over game and they reduced to like 30 overs or something. And Neil Dexter hit him six sixes in an over, but like literally like plinking them everywhere. But it's like, it's just a joke. And I think he's just scarred for life from that, I think. Yeah, definitely. So talk to me about Cobain. How good was he this summer? Yeah, really good. I think he's, he's one who was, who was disappointed he didn't get picked up, you know, um, in any of the franchise leagues or, um, the hundred draft, um, after being obviously really consistent for the last probably close to 10 years now. Um, but I think this year sort of was sort of a real breakthrough for him. He, the way he scored his runs as well, he was really aggressive. Um, and it almost the fact that he stood out more this year, um, more match winning knocks, more big knocks. Um, and his six hitting ability, obviously this summer was, was second to, to no one in the country. So, I'm hoping this winter he gets some opportunities, possibly if there's any leagues going around. Um, but if not, I mean, he's a great asset for us and it's good that he's, he's signed on for another couple of years. Yeah. Cause almost as a, as a gloss fan, I don't want him to go and be involved in himself. I want him playing for, for <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, we've not usually had that problem, but as I, <laughs> as I said, hopefully, as we sort of start to, you know, we've made finals day this year. We're technically a Division One club now. Um, hopefully, that starts to happen more in the next in the next few seasons. What were your thoughts on the way that the um the, the Vitality Blast ended that final day? Like, were you thinking, you know, were you hoping it would be put back to the Wednesday? Were you kind of glad that it was reduced to the was it eleven overs, eleven point six, eleven point four overs, whatever it was in the end? Were you yeah, happy with that? Not really. I mean, you'd like you'd like to obviously decide it with a full day of cricket. That's the ideal situation. But playing cricket in October is obviously going to be it's going to be tough to do that. Um, I mean, we joked about it at the time. We were like, "Oh, we we're desperate to play on the Sunday because our end of season golf day was on the Wednesday." So we'd have had to have cancelled that. Um, but no, I think you know that's how it was. That's what they agreed. Um, it was a bit of a shame that they were sort of panicking and almost trying to decide the day before what they were going to do. Um, and the fact that there was an option of having a full day on the Wednesday where the weather looked a bit better could have been different. But um, no, I mean, it was the same for both sides. We'd obviously played a shortened game against Warwickshire at Edgebaston earlier in the year so and done really well there. Um, you know, we just didn't, didn't sort of adapt to conditions quickly enough and, and didn't turn up really, which can happen. So it's just how it is, sadly. For me, mentioned the hundred um, earlier on. There, what what are players' views on that? Because obviously, a lot of the fans aren't on fans of it at all. They just don't see the need for another format, if you like. So, so, so from a player's perspective, what what's your view on it? Yeah, I can understand people who are against it. I mean, there's still a fifty over World Cup, and you're obviously compromising fifty over cricket for um for the new format. Um, on the other hand, as players, I mean, it's something that, that people want to be a part of purely because it's going to be in the public eye. You're going to have the best players from around the world playing in it. And it's another financial incentive, which I know sounds, sounds sort of a bit selfish, but I mean, cricket's not like football. It's not huge money in the game. Um, so any opportunities is a nice one, but I think a lot of the lads are keen to, Especially us boys, we're sort of keen to showcase our skills amongst the best because, as we've said, sort of haven't sort of got as much traction and attention over the last few years. Um, it'd be great for the likes of, of Payne, Higo and Benny to, um, to be able to show themselves up against the, the best and, um, show them how good they are. So I, um, as a, as a Gloucester fan, I was really disappointed with finals day. It seemed like, particularly when Gloucester came out to bat to start with, it was really wet, and it, it looked like it was really difficult to pick the ball up. Yeah, I mean, I think purely the wicket did not play anything like we expected it to. Um, we like the outfield was a bit wet, and the groundsmen were a bit concerned. But I think both Dawson and Alex Stewart, sorry, coach, were were happy, and we were happy. So. It was fine that we were out there. I think we just sort of misread the pitch a little bit. Um, it, it was rock hard and looked like an absolute belter. Um, but just sort of had that bit of sort of tackiness and extra bounce that we didn't really expect. And, um, to be fair to them, um, Topley and Jack bowled really nicely. And if it had been a 20 over game, you know, you can, you can afford to have, you know, a below par power play, but in a 11 over game, it, it catches up with you pretty quick. So. Yeah, we just got behind the game early and sort of couldn't really recover. Um, that's just how it goes sometimes. I think it was obviously a, 
a wicket under covers for two days. It was never going to be the easiest, but um, yeah, sadly we just didn't didn't pull it out of the bag. It's it's all good experience in the bank going forward, I suppose. But the most pertinent question here, and it all came out in the wash, really: who won the golf day? Uh, it was. <laughs> it was actually two of the coaches in the end. So the academy coach Tim Hancock and the bank coach Owen Dawkins won it. Um, I mean, there's a few beers drunk as well, so like. It was never going to be the best golfers winning, was it? But, um, yeah, it was, it was good fun. Who was the best golfer there? Best golfer. Um, Hankins is probably our standout. He's probably off about four. Um, George Scott's very good. Payne is very good. Josh Shaw's very good. It's actually all the bowlers who are the best ones. Very good. Um, average. I mean, getting better. I think it's a bad time for courses to close because I was actually starting to, Shuffle me handicap down, but um, yeah, I can swing a club. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm brilliant, but I'm right. So it, w- it was next stop European European Tour golf if the cu- uh, courses went to close then. Yeah, that would have been the dream. Actually, that's better than cricket, I reckon. I mean, <laughs> money they make in golf, unbelievable. Yeah, isn't it? If you're the best in the world at golf, you're you're laughing, aren't you? But then there's obviously lots of downsides spending so much time on your own. Um, I mean, at least we get to watch the Masters, so I'm just going to be locked in for four days for that. You're a big, big fan of many other sports. Obviously, we, we're going to come to your, uh, your football and your being a fan of Rovers and stuff. You're a fan yeah. of many other sports? Well, I mean, apart from Rovers, I wouldn't say I'm a massive fan. I mean, I, I follow Bristol rugby. Um, but my dad doesn't like me going and watching them because obviously I have to go to Ashton Gate. Um, good man, good man, good man. That sort of hinders it a little bit. I mean, my granddad's always been a big, big Bristol rugby fan, so I do, yeah, I do follow them. Um, I'm sort of one of those people who just grew up and just played everything, really. I've never been a huge, like, fan, but I, if anything was on the telly, I'd watch it. I mean, I understand those things. So I'm quite happy to watch. I got into my, um, got into basketball quite a bit at uni, so, um, I follow the NBA as well, but, um, yeah, not too much apart from, uh, apart from Rovers. Because you did play a bit the same age as me. You did play a bit of football, didn't you? Football. Yeah, I played a bit of football. Um, played probably up until I was, I played a bit of uni as well until I was probably 19. I played. So, um, that's definitely something I'll go back to once I finish playing cricket, whenever that is. Go and play back at my local club. My brother still plays. So I'm sure they'll have a spot for me. They're not exactly brilliant. Who's your team? Who's, who's the local team? Yeah. Um, so before I, Went full time with Gloss. I played for Ridings High. They play like Suburban. I don't know what they're in now. Suburban Two, maybe. We were Suburban Prem when I was there. Um, which was is actually. That why is that Suburban Two? Yeah. Because it was Suburban Prem. Now you've left, so they've just gone downhill. No, it's just one of those teams where we only have about 11 players. So we're always scragging like anyone together. And I think they went through a couple of years where we just had literally no players. Um, Sort of same time I left, a lot of other lads left who were who were actually tidy footballers. So um, sadly, went down the pan, uh, the pan a little bit. But um, yeah, it's definitely something I'll go back to. Who was your first Rovers game? Then who was the? Did you remember that? I mean, I don't remember my first one because I remember my dad started taking me and my brother literally straight away, probably before we were out the pram. So. Oh, right. Uh, Probably don't remember the first one. The first one I can remember is probably um, Hartlepool at home, probably about 2002 and, or 2003 maybe, and we won 1-0. And that is the first memory I have of it. So, James, on the pod, we've got a fixture memory man. Uh, 
section, and I'm normally the fixture memory man, but I think we might have somebody to run the, run the <laughs> party port at home 2003. <laughs> I mean, I'm not great other than that, but I just remember it very distinctly. I don't know why. There's no reason it wasn't a brilliant game or anything. Was that the game that got you hooked then? Was that the bit that, because it's not a glamour it, that one? No, it's not. I think my, bro- my brother always used to go with my dad, because my dad's been a massive fan for years, like, probably since he was like 10. So um, I was always, as I said, sort of I loved playing, but I was never a big watcher of any sport, cricket, football, anything. So I used to just go with dad purely because he was going and I didn't really have anything else to do and started going. I probably didn't start really sort of enjoying going and probably until I was sort of eight or nine. Um, but since then, I've always wanted to go. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'd go every week now as, as, as shit as it is at times. <laughs> How annoyed were you when you um you went to the Ackerton game and missed the JCH red kick because you had to go and warm up? Yeah, I know I did. And I, well, obviously it was, I left at half time, so I got to the ground about when the second half kicked off. And like, we're obviously usually in the change room sort of sorting ourselves out for the first bit. But I just sort of sat like by the nets on the outfield because you can obviously hear anything that's going on. Um, and you can tell from the type of cheer what's going on. So, um, yeah, it was disappointing. I saw afterwards, I, my dad came down to the game and told me how good it was. But, um, yeah, it was a bit disappointing, especially the fact that we were, what, 2 1 at half time and drew three all. Yeah. It's probably the best goal I've seen down the men, to be honest with you. Yeah, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. unbelievable goal. Yeah. Are there any other, um, Rovers fans in the Gloucester team or are they all sport other teams? There's absolutely none. It's a disgrace. <laughs> There is none. There is one Rovers fan, myself, and one City fan. Um, and that is it. There's like no one else from Bristol. So, apart from Denty, who's not a big football fan. I mean, he is a football fan, but he doesn't follow a team as such. Um, everyone else has come from sort of, all come through the Gloss Academy, but been, been brought from, you know, Oxfordshire, Dorset, um, you got, uh, uh, Scouse, Coey's an Everton fan. You got Paney supports Bournemouth. Um, we've actually done alright. Like a lot of our lads do support their local side. We got a couple of, couple of glory hunters, which is my pet hate in life. I just <laughs> hate it. You know, Ben Charles was born and bred in Oxford and he supports United. Like, just totally does me head in. Um, yeah, no need for that. I that does my head in as well. A lot of lads get around the Premier League and the fantasy football and that sort of stuff, which is, is good fun. So, James, you've got to name it. The only decent question would be to ask, name and shame the City fan, then. George Drizel, which, I mean, I mean, I hate City fans, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm helped by the fact that, you know, he is a diehard City fan. He's as City as I am Rovers, so I can respect that, and he's Bedminster through and through, so I don't mind that either. It's blokes from Bradley Stoke who support City for doing the as well. Yes. Alongside of Thornbury as well. So my best what are you doing? Yeah, my best mate around the corner lives in Wintbourne and he's moved from, alright, originally he was in, like, um, uh, like Emerson's Green. So I was like, and he's a diehard City fan. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Um, but to be fair, he is first to admit that the blokes south of the river are just nauseous when it comes to City. They just know me. <laughs> 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 Being on Twitter since they've started losing games, they just need to knock it on the head, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, they, they said. Huh? 
I thought they were already promoted, mate. They thought they'd done well, it. They're, they're a Premier League club, aren't they? Like, <laughs> oh, they were saying it on Sky Sports the other day as well. Oh, it was, you know, oh we get it. Like, they got some money. They got a good squad. They win the first four games of the year, and they're the best team in the world. And then look at it now, and they want everyone out. It's just incredible. Their chickens are back out by Aston Gate. Rinse and repeat every year, every single time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's not great. I mean, they're in obviously a good position at the moment as a as a club, which I hate to admit, but um, it's always nice to see them lose a few games. Though. Yeah. The um the gas and gloss double header. Obviously, you went and played in it, so you, you you've got a sort of a you've probably done that quite a few times. Yeah. Do you not do you not think there should be a link between the two clubs in that respect? Obviously, I know Rovers are looking to move looking to move stadiums, so it won't be a long-term thing. But over yeah. the summer, some of the best days I've had since I moved back to Bristol is, is the gas and gloss double header. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's often, as you said, like our T20 games tend to start at, you know, five. On a Saturday, they usually start six thirty, seven o'clock. It's perfect timing, especially like, you know, you have a, like, it's the perfect day. You have a few beers before the Rovers, then you watch football, like, have a walk down, maybe stop for one on the way. And then cricket, most people watching it's just a piss up anyway, isn't it? So yeah. it's like a good Saturday night. Um, yeah, I think it would be nice. I think there has been links between the community and, su- and stuff, but, um, not sort of getting people linked between the two, you know, like a, a double ticket deal. If you buy one for Rovers, you get a certain price of whatever or whatever. Like it would be good to get a link between the two, especially being the only two, obviously not Bristol sport, essentially. Um, it would be nice to put a link together. Um, Hopefully, um, guy in our community office who's, who's new and sort of getting stuff together. He's a big, he's a big football fan. So hopefully he can start to, to have a nudge at that. Just steer him away from British sport because it's inevitable. Lansdowne's gonna, gonna look at you now. Division one team. He, he must have his, he must be sniffing around it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, obviously he's gonna want to have Bristol sport, isn't he? I mean, cricket's sort of the only one not on his list. Um, so I mean, from a financial point of view, yeah, I don't know how things work. I think with cricket, it's different because of, you know, the members' side of things and they have a certain say in, in decision-making. Um, yeah, I mean, it's inevitable think, point in it, but he's... he's I think he'd have been having his on, on, a 100, on the 100th franchise, wouldn't he? I think if there'd have been a 100th franchise based yeah. in Bristol, he think, might have had his eye on that, to be honest. Yeah, and it was a, it was a conversation for a while, wasn't it, um, about there being the franchise in Bristol and in sort of investing in it. But um I think whilst this it's Gloucestershire County Cricket Club, I I don't see how he can get in at the moment. Good. <laughs> yeah, I mean we've already had this discussion in my household. My dad said he'd he wouldn't come watch anymore, so Yeah, well, could you put that logo on? Could you could you in good faith? Obviously I know I know it's it's put, it's keeping you in it's keeping you in bread and stuff like that. So, you know, yeah. it's it's getting you uh, Getting your food on the table, but could you, yeah. could you, would you feel like you put a Rover shirt underneath it? Yeah, I mean, I'd have to, as long as he didn't change the colour to red, I think I'd be alright. <laughs> um, uh, there's every chance in there. Well, I so said the, the, the rugby shirt's gradually changing to red, isn't it? Gradually getting more red, which is just not right, because they're, blue, well, they're navy blue and white, aren't they, usually? Yeah. What's your, um, what's your favourite? So, obviously, you've ticked off 30 odd grounds on your, um, on your on your grounds map, what's your what's what's the best away day? What's the worst away day? Have you got any away day stories that, that we can um, add to our? Argument? I mean, yeah, I've been on a few good ones. I mean, whilst I was up at Loughborough, I managed to do a lot of the Midlands and sort of Northern games. Um, 
So a lot of them sort of came then. I was there, uh, Mansfield away, 98th minute winner, which, um, I mean, Matt Taylor scored it, which now isn't as good, but, um, <laughs> unbelievable at the time. It was a great game. There was like three sendings off as well. And it was just yeah. a really good win. Um, I, by chance, stopped at Northampton when we won 6-0. That was great as well. Um, MK Dons Tuesday night, Matt Taylor hat trick, really good as well. Um, I've done some shit like we lost at Chesterfield which was just dire um, uh, Sheffield United was poor as well we lost there um, I think so the, the worst ones off the City losing at City what 2013-14 maybe um, that was that was bad as well but um, it was nice to finally experience it I guess that that night was when Mark McChrystal became my my favourite Rovers player. Forgiven yeah. the worst the worst Rovers team of all time parity against their team. Their team goes on to win the double. You know they won that competition that year, and yeah. we got parity through the shittest team we've ever had. And yeah. the absolute the limbs. I was in the back row of the very back of the away end, and yeah. I ended up literally in the middle of the bottom tier. It was the absolute carnage that ensued oh, after that. People game. getting trampled on us all sorts. I mean. Yeah, we were a terrible side. I mean, when Matt Harold's leading your line, you're not you're not going very far, are you? But um, no, I think to be uh, fair, that's a little bit harsh, Luke. Sam, that's the worst side ever. I I have I have experienced a lot worse sides than that. Yeah, my, I mean, my dad says every year that it's the worst side he's ever seen. So I'd love to know what what actually <laughs> is the worst side we've ever had because we've had some bad bad players. This one's going to be up there statistically. This team from when Garner's come in. Statistically, it, it is. I actually, I actually think the team we've got at this moment in time is nowhere near the worst. But I mean, statistically, obviously, hasn't really delivered since it's come in. But I guess trying to just accept that might take a while. I guess. I mean, do you do you not remember the days of Derek O'Riordan and Chris Beardsley at the front? I mean, that is that team. Yeah. That is that team that got relegated when we lost Derek Reardon and Chris it? Beard. That's that team. Oh, I mean, some of the uh, some of the strikers we brought in just useless. <laughs> I remember, oh, I can't remember his name. We got some like Cunnington or something. Oh, Adam Cunnington. Yeah. I remember him, and I was just like, "Who is this bloke? How is he getting?" <laughs> he he scored the other day. Actually, it was on oh, Sunday Saturday. I think he's playing for Weymouth or something. Though. Absolutely incredible. Uh, some of the people we've let play football versus embarrassing. Alex Wall. Yeah. Just, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at least at the moment, sort of blokes are showing a little bit of a little bit of promise. I think the majority of the signings look pretty good. Your, I agree. Um, it's just a style of player at the moment. I think it's the problem, not the players. Yeah, I think we're sort of investing in this sort of this higher end style of football, which I think is is great. But to get out of this division, you've almost got to have a little bit of a mix. You've got to, you've got to have a bit more about you. Like you've almost got to put together what we've got now with what Hoglan had going on, which was dire football, but we won every week out of one game of football, which I know a lot of people hated and said, "Oh, it wouldn't last." But I mean, Christmas last year we were third in the league somehow, right? So I think to get out of the division, if we're going to play the way we are, we've got we've got to play better than the likes of Peterborough, Sunderland, Ipswich, Hull, which at the moment we're just not keeping up with. So. They were when they were near that level, yeah. Yeah, I mean Tuesday night show they were just a bit, a bit too good for us going forward. 
Yeah, I guess a quick, a quick, go back to cricket quickly, because I, I, someone was wanting to, to, to find out. Um, obviously, Tillakwati Dilshan did his scoop, didn't he, many, many, many yeah. moons ago. And then ever since, we've got all of these shots that are just bizarre. I've been watching the IEPL and some of the Stokes, yeah, the shots that Ben Stokes are playing, you know, literally going down on one leg to Patterson, who's probably at 90 mile an hour and scooping it over his shoulders. Yeah. Crazy. You must practice that. To, to do these shots. You can't just suddenly go out and do them. How much yeah. practice of them do you do? Because if I had got down and done that when I was in the nets as a, as a 12-year-old at Frenchy, I would have been told to get out of the nets, take your pads off and go home, you know, play yeah. straight, man, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think with how the game's developing, it's, like, creativity is, is obviously encouraged. Um, bowlers can work you out very, very quickly, so you've got to be able to, to combat it some time or another. So, I mean, you look at you look at how T20 cricket was 2003 when it was first released, it's very, very different to what it is now. Um, you know, guys still play themselves in and still left open bowlers, blocks, good balls. Now, I mean, something like a scoop or running down at someone immediately makes that length very different um, and makes the bowler think. So it's all about, it's just cat and mouse. I mean, making the bowler think, um, trying to predict what they're going to do. And I think, you know where the ball's going to be, it makes your decision a lot easier and it makes it a lot less scary. Um, obviously, a ball coming over your nice mile now itself is scary and being able to put it over your head is pretty unbelievable. Not many can do it. But if you know that, you know, it's the top of the innings, you can try and hit the top of the stumps, you can immediately get in a position to do it. Um, which the likes of Stokes, Manson, Butler, they're just so good at and they can adapt so quickly that, um, yeah, they just do these things, but regarding practice, they just do it in day in day out. They just do really intense, purposeful practice, which makes them so good when it comes to competition. They teach you the like, young youngers to do it, or is it you know, get yourself established and then mess it's around? <laughs> I think the newest guys in our dressing room have done it. Um, the young lads always want to show themselves to be up to the standards of the of the best players. So yeah, I think. You see more people doing it in, in club cricket, academy cricket, and you know youth cricket as well. So they must be teaching them, but I think something like that is so natural. I think it's very um, sort of suits style of cricketer. I'm not inclined to do it straight away. I have I've almost learnt to do it because it's almost you have to now. Um, they didn't come naturally to me, whereas someone like you know, Butler or in our squad, someone like Miles Hammond, um, it just comes so naturally to him. And I think it comes from sort of playing, you know, growing up playing something like hockey or tennis, where that sort of movement's a bit more natural, um, definitely makes it easier for them. Yeah, I so know Owen Morgan, and it used to play a lot of, look, is it, um, Gaelic? Uh, he used to play Gaelic football, hurling. Yeah, hurling. Like and they said so, that's why he can do some of his shots. He almost like hits like top spin, doesn't he? Like, he yeah. almost hit like a, yeah. Butler the same, played tennis, hence why he hits it sort of how he does. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely a factor. Um, yeah, definitely a staple of like making it in the game now. You've got to be able to do crazy stuff like that. Do, you, do these guys, obviously you were in a test match bubble with people like Butler, not Stokes obviously. Um, do they practice it even during those test match bubbles or do they just almost down those skills and pick up the Red Bull skills and just work on those specifically? Or do they still have to go back to those to keep them ticking over? It's two very different skill sets. So, um, 
you almost keep them separate, but there is the basics that underpin batting as a as a skill. So you'd always do your same basics, and then you expand on that and do your separate stuff. I mean, whilst I was in the bubble, Red Bull when it was Red Bull only, so um, did ten weeks of Red Bull. Um, the likes of Ben Butler who went into the Aussie series or the Pakistan White Bull series. Um, it's that quick quick change in time. You'd have had ten days to. So both rest, recover, see his family and get in the groove and ready to go. Um, I think that's why the best players are the best is they can just switch between the two and it doesn't impact them. Um, I've seen so many people, including myself, when I started playing both, the transition between the two sort of creep, one creeps into the other, especially white ball into red ball. Um, you find yourself doing stuff that you wouldn't have usually done. So. Um, being able to separate them and distinguish between the two is is a tough skill in itself. Do you think that's why there's now so very few England players that play both consistently? Definitely, and I think the fact that you know white balls become so different to red ball, you know, two thousand five, six, seven, and before white ball cricket was very. It was just a shortened version, so you'd play it the same. It was obviously a lot of the time it almost played with the red ball as well, so it was it was similar. Um, but now that it's different skill sets and, and guys almost a lot more guys are pigeonholed as one of the one or the other, whether that's them choosing to be or the system dictating that. Um, so yeah, you obviously find a lot of changeover. There's probably only when you look at the central contract list. There's probably is there five who are doing both maybe. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously so different, so you've got to be very, very good to um, break both, especially in the white ball side at the moment, which there's so much depth, um, it's hard to, to break into both. Do you do you see your skill set more in the red ball side or the white ball side? Red ball side at the moment, um, I think that's what I've been spotted for and obviously what I've done well over the last year. Um White ball, obviously, cricket, especially 50 over cricket, I did really well. Um, but obviously having none this year, um, meant that it was, it's obviously tough to, to get into that side. And I think, you know, you got to be a certain style of cricketer to, to get into the England side, especially with Owen Morgan as captain. What makes him so good is the fact that he has a clear philosophy and picks players based on it. Um, he wants destructive batters. He wants guys who are fearless and just go out and, whack it and play as they do so you know the likes of your Roy's best so they've just got firepower all the way down so I think there's only room for one sort of batter who plays you know as I want to play um, at the moment which is obviously Joe Root um, you've got the likes of Joe Denley Sam Hain all these guys who have got brilliant stats but obviously can't break in because there's so much depth um, so at the moment probably it would be Red Bull but Obviously, I'm I'm looking to improve in all three formats. Definitely, I'm all out of questions. Yeah, yeah, still am not. Yeah, I I heard that. that um, quality. All right, well, mm. lads, it's been a pleasure. Cheers. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot, mate. Yeah, yeah cheers, James. Thank you very much. Cheers, thanks, boys. James. Right, is James has left the building? That was all right. That was good. That was alright, yeah, that was good. That was good. Right. Andy, what's your first clip this week? Okay, so the first clip this week is, um, going back to Bristol Rovers. Um, one of the 
most memorable derby games in certainly in my lifetime. Uh, when Peter Beadle scored in the 91st minute to get us a 1-1 draw down at Ashton Gate. Um, sparking joyous scenes in the away end and uh, pitch invasions and all sorts in the home end. Absolutely fantastic. Just what you want to see from a derby game. What What were your thoughts, Ollie? I wasn't there. <laughs> no, but um, you saw the clip. No I, doubt. I, I, the clip looks fantastic, to be fair. It looks like absolute scenes. Although I struggle to uh, back any clip. I know it's obviously Rovers scoring at City, but he also played for City. So? What do you mean, so? When are we getting a clip of Matty Taylor, then? Because Matty Taylor moved directly from he, he did, that's Rovers true. to City and did it in a fashion that was very underhanded and, you know, not 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 the way that should be, things should be done. Peter Beadle went to other clubs in between and then just happened to, to go back to City in the same way that Steve Phillips ended up at Rovers and, you know, We've had loads of players over the years, and so so have City that have played for both sides. You know, um, so you've got Peter Beadle, uh, Dwayne uh, Dwayne Plummer, Steve Phillips going the other way. Ray Cashley back in the day played for both clubs. It's not unheard of to play for both Rovers and City. What is unheard of, really, and it's only happened you know, a handful of times, is to move directly between the two clubs for a fee. And I think that's why it rankles so much with with Rovers fans is the, the way that it was done, not the uh, the fact that he went there, um, but the way that it was done, and then obviously the way that he carried on whilst he was there with the, the gold gifts and all of that. You know. You've uh, forgotten the best ones that played both Rovers and City, and that's of course John Akinde. John Akinde, Jason Roberts, Jason Roberts for City. You know, he was on loan at City from Wolves before he came to Rovers. So, you know, we don't turn around and Jason Roberts and go, oh, he played for City for first and we just boo it, you know. <laughs> I would suggest Rovers fans do boo any player that comes down uh, the Rovers ground who's played for City or is playing for City or has any connection with us to say, really. Yeah, but not and quite not, often. Not they play for them white as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not when they play for us, I don't know. No one gave Steve Phillips a little, a little crap. Don't know. They did, to start with. You got loads of shit. Well, the imbeciles, aren't they? That's fair enough. How many times have you been down Ashton Gate then, Monty, to watch Rivers? Uh, one, two, three. That, that was my, that was my third visit. I've been down there once, once since. Um, the very first time I went down there, I think it was about 1987. And we could only get, it was New Year's Day, we could only get tickets in the home end, me and my old man. And uh, I was about nine, eight or nine, something like that. And, um, uh, 1989, sorry. Uh, New Year's Day 89, I was ten, nine years old. And my old man said, whatever you do, if Rovers score, don't cheer. And Gary Penrose smashed one in the bottom corner. And I sat there, you know, with sort of trying to hide my grin. And my old man went absolutely mental and went, <laughs> yes! And then when everyone looked at him, went, oh, he scored. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then had to very quickly try and sort his way out while he was, while he was cheering and, and came up with some excuse. So, oh, I thought he saved it. <laughs> I've I got to be honest, I've been in the home end at numerous places, but I would never go in the home end down there. 
not even a million years. Ne- no. Never in a million years. Yeah, I've, I've actually been in the home end a few times then. I've actually been down there when I was younger and watched um, England under-21s play. Um, Emil Heskey was playing for England, and they played Italy 1-1-0, and playing in goal for Italy was Jean-Luc Buffon. What was he? Jean-Luc yeah. Buffon? Who's mm. that? Well, what his name is? I find Emil it difficult Buffon. to believe that Emil Heskey put one past Buffon. Emil Heskey scored the goal. England won 1-0. Emil Heskey scored the goal. Um, Darren Eady was also playing for England. Um, I think Jamie Carragher played as well. KSI has got blood on his hands. Emil Heskey was a fucking good footballer. He was a fucking good footballer. Yeah. And the idea that you find it hard to believe, he put the fifth against Oliver Kahn. You know what I mean? He, he, yeah, yeah, he yeah, scored yeah. against players. He's a brilliant, he was a fantastic footballer. Michael Owen, free, yeah, Michael Owen would frequently say that he was his favourite England partner because he would do a lot of the donkey work, which meant that Owen could just stay in the box and just be there when the ball came in. Because Heskey would be the man that ran the channels. He would, Pull defenders uh, all over the place. Um, and he has said as well that he scored a lot of headers, Owen, because defenders would both go, when the ball came in the box, Heskey would attract the defenders and leave him, and they'd leave Owen unmarked. It, it doesn't really help, though. It doesn't help that England fans, for as long as I've been watching England, stand there and sing 5 1, even Heskey scored. Yeah. Which yeah. doesn't help. I mean, I'd say. KSI's got blood in his hand with that Hesk time and all the FIFA videos because the young kids just see him as a bit of a joke. Like, you know, the people who are like 13, 14 now, they see the, the Hesky videos going round. But he was a, he scored some absolute bangers for Liverpool. Didn't he win the Europa League with Liverpool or the UEFA Cup, whatever it was back in the day? He was part of their treble winning side. He won the double league cup with Leicester. He was, brilliant he, Leicester. was, a, he was a brilliant player. And, yeah. um, yeah, he gets up, he gets absolute penalties. But I'd, I'd never go in the home end at Ashton Gate because it only takes one dickhead to recognise you, or one dickhead to have seen you in a different Rovers video, or seen you on Twitter, you know, talking about Rovers. And then, as Brady said earlier, they're, they're all such belters about um, about their team and about their about, about City. People like South of the River, like Bevington, Noel and all that. Like, they're all... They, they, they've got such a weird way of supporting their club. Like, it's so strange how aggressive they are about it. We've got a few in our end. You know, name... <laughs> I, I, I can name two Rovers belters on this podcast. <laughs> it's nice of you to name yourself, mate. Yeah, as I say, I, 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 mean, I, I agree with Luke, but I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have put you down that list, Ollie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I disagree with that. I don't think, I don't think if, if there was a City fan recognised in the West End, say, for like in the Uplands Terrace or whatever it is now, the big blue um, stand that we've got, if there was a City fan in there recognised by the Rovers fans as a City fan, I don't think that anything would happen to him. In the Blackthorn then, it's inevitable, isn't it? I think you could go anywhere in the city stadium. You could sit anywhere as a Rovers fan, and if someone knows you're a Rovers fan, every time you're getting punched, they're weird. They're a weird, weird bunch. You could be going there. You might even have to be Rovers. I watched City versus Hull years ago as a kid, and I'd never go there now. I'd never go there now. Jeez, did you hear that? Yeah, I scared the crap out of me. So what? Yeah, we're, talk, we're talking about the derby there, you know, and obviously we haven't had one for. A, a good level a number of years, and there's obviously a lot of good derbies in the in the country. What, in your opinion, what's the best derby in? And I'm going to say Britain, so we can include Rangers and Celtic in it as well. You know, what would you, if you could go to any derby, you know, in this in in this in this on this island, so which derby would it be? For me, initially, I've got two thoughts that come straight to mind. It's difficult to look away from Celtic and Rangers. I would also say Villa Birmingham's are. 
I I can't think of anything else that I'd rather go to than City Rovers. I, I, you know, Celtic and Rangers, of course, but for different reasons. For something that I I would care passionately about and wouldn't be able to sleep for weeks before. My nightmare. I, I when I have anxiety dreams, some people's anxiety dreams are you know people unlocking the toilet and they happen to be on stage. Do you know what I mean? Something like that. That's some people's anxiety dreams. My anxiety dream is Rovers playing City in the playoff final. I could, I I don't oh. think I'll be able to sleep for a month before that. I, I don't think, think I'd be able to go. Yeah. I don't think I could. I don't think I could. I'm not even sure I'd be able to watch it on telly either. I just, I just curl in. I just go and find a cave somewhere and sit there for, for two hours and just hope man the best. <laughs> yeah. We, know, did I, that, we did find out in a previous episode that when probably the most famous Rovers goal for a long time was scored, Monksy was in a supermarket and was hugging people. Yeah, again, yeah, I just true. couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't bear watching Watching that, let alone, as you say, a playoff final against them. I mean, obviously, if you win it, it's just the greatest day of your life, you know. And I and I include the the birth of your kids in that, you know. But if you lose it, it's like, oh, it's, how how do you live that down? Oh, you just wouldn't go to work. I just, I would, I would I would just ring in sick, and they'd say, "What's wrong?" I'd say, "I'm dead. I'm not coming back in ever." But please keep paying me. <laughs> it reminds me of the um. The Copper Libertadores final a couple of years ago when it was, um, River versus Boca for the first time ever. And it got so violent they had to play it in a different continent in order to make sure that the final was played. I reckon there's every chance that Rovers v City might be played at the Burnabout because, because the Great Western trains would have an absolute stinker, wouldn't they? Everyone going to Temple Meets or Parkway. Oh, it, I couldn't think of anything less pleasant than that. I, no chance. No chance. They would, they, they'd have to say, you know, City fans from Temple Meads, Rovers fans from Parkway, and they surely would have to say, well, the train stops at Reading. And then you get the tube, or you get, or you get a different train from Reading to, a, to, to Wembley round there. They couldn't have everyone just assembling on paddles, could they? British Transport Police would be busy that day, wouldn't they? <laughs> God. There's, some bit of me wants it. Some bit of me thinks oh, it would be fun. But the, most of me thinks, I, I, I honestly know I wouldn't be able to sleep from, the day we both won our playoff semi-finals until probably until three days after the playoff final, I don't think I'd be able to sleep through nerves. And ultimately, we'd lose. There's no doubt about it. We would definitely lose. So you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't live it down or be able to sleep afterwards. It, it's, yeah. I'm stressed thinking about it. I, I can remember when we lost to um, Huddersfield in the playoff final and what that felt like. It just felt like someone was just ripped you inside. Say. And that was Huddersfield. Imagine losing to to them. That is one thing that I I like about living in Leicester is that I haven't got to associate with City fans every day. Because they, one, they do my head in, and two, if they were to beat us, I just wouldn't be able to show my face. Yeah, I'm, I, that 2013 game was the last time I played them, and they, they scored those two pretty good goals. And we spoke about it earlier with Mark Crystal scoring a header. And from that moment, we lost that game. And that moment solidified Mark Crystal as my favourite Rose player ever. You know, I, is, that, I, I, I quite is like, that alongside Tony Craig and alongside I say, I quite like a, a slow lumbering end of their career centre half, but who comes in and is, and is actually pretty good for us. I mean, Crystal was terrible the year we went down; they all were. But he actually he brought it back. He was instrumental in bringing us up twice. You know, and then left after the second promotion. You know, he, he, he more than paid us back for how shit he was in that first season. But the moment that ball at the back of the net, I was like, you know, it, it brought us parity to the probably the best side they've ever had, or certainly in the last twenty years, and the worst side we've ever had, and probably will ever have. It was that bad, and um, oh god, 
I can't imagine why it must feel like in that game, in a league game where it actually matters. Obviously, this was a, the JPT at the time. In a league game, it's like you've just seen the Rovers at the bar and then, you know, you think that's the last chance. You think that's the moment. I reckon some people would have left at that moment. I genuinely think there will be at least 15, 20 people who would have left on that ball at the bar to avoid the trouble at the end of the game with leaving the ground so they can get out nice and quickly. You know, so they've missed that. They've missed then what is actually quite a good goal. You know, it's a very, very well-worked goal. It's not lumping into the box. You know, they, they whip out wide. There's a touch on. The cross comes in. You know, it is a lovely, lovely work goal. But yeah, and then you see it in the 90s. You know, you, you see the, the guy in the Oasis shirt comes on and hugs, hugs Beadle. He's, he's in the net. He doesn't know where to move. And then everyone just jumps on him. I was on the pitch. I was, I was on the pitch. Um, and then what you don't see in that, in that clip is the referee took the players off. So the, so the police horses could get control. And then they all came back on again. Um, and then he literally played about 12, sort of 10, 15 seconds and then blew and everybody ran off. And of course, all the fans just ran back on the pitch. Um, and then a group of city fans went to the away end and were trying to get in the away end from the, from, from behind. So all the Rovers fans went onto the pitch. So we actually had a balloon and me and my mates were reenacting because at the time you had, Fancy Football League and they had a thing called Phoenix and the Flames. So we we actually did a Phoenix and the Flames and reenacted the goal with the with the balloon. It was actually on the pitch. It was brilliant. How old were you? How old were you? Do you reckon back then? Eight, that was nineteen ninety seven. So I was in year year nine, year ten. I think year um, nine, year ten these days with balloons. I was thinking balloons for a very different reason. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't have that in my, in my day. But I went to school at St. Mary Redcliffe, so me and a little of the lads basically went straight from school. It was a night game, straight down. Went to a, went, went to the Coliseum pub over in Redcliffe. We had, um, took our you're school. You're in the pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We took our school ties off because we had blazers and all that. We took our school ties off, um, made it look like, I mean, bought actual different ties in. So I, you know, from, from, from home. Put it on to make it look like we just finished in the office, just, just next door. Went in the Coliseum, had a few beers in there, had a stroll down, had a few beers in um, the Ship and Castle, uh, <laughs> in there, and then went and then went in the away end, and then oh, it was brilliant! It was carnage, but yeah, one of the best, one of the best days days ever. Brilliant. You would have been, you would have been thirteen, roughly, maybe 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 slightly in year nine, you'd be about thirteen, fourteen, maybe. Yeah, You've, yeah. You're not, you're not the tallest man I've ever seen. No. How tall were you when you were thirteen? And you're coming in pretending that you've been in the office. Did it bollocks look like you've been in the office? It, what it would look like these year nine year olds, like year nine or thirteen year olds, they put their dad's tie on and they're trying to go down the pub. <laughs> That's what it would have looked like. <laughs> to be honest, I probably wasn't massively different in height than what I am now. I just never grew. Um, and you I was look also like a now. well, we were also there with Sam Cannock, who was who was who was about six foot three, six foot four, even then back at school. So. We said, and the other thing as well, I was drinking Guinness. And they, they, they didn't tend to query that. If you weren't up and ordered a load of soda back in the day. Rubbish. You know, you know yeah, no, there was. If you ordered soda, they'd ask you for ID. If you set up and ask for like John Smith's or, or Guinness, they didn't tend to query it so much. Cause I think there's, there's oh, that's a bit of a more of a dis- disturbing taste you got there. Imagine being that barman and you've got what is obviously a 13 year old in his dad's tie in front of you and he comes up, I'll have a Guinness, please. <laughs> ID, yeah, I'll have a Guinness, please. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, you're right. You've been in the office, to be fair. It doesn't look like you've been in the office because he's ordered a Guinness. Actually, no, no, no. Sorry, 97. 97. I was, 
I was sort of, sorry, no, I was sorry, I was, I was 18, 19, apologies. I was thinking of the, the game before I went, we went straight from school, sorry. That, that particular game, yeah, 97, I was about 1920s. So it turned out that you weren't 13 at all, you didn't go in your dad's tie. <laughs> no, that, that was the game before, that, that, that we, uh, we, um, we drew two all actually, I think that was. No, we won two nil. One two nil. Peter Beadle scores an absolute screamer. Your story's falling apart like a red hot Mars bar. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> so, I'm getting my derbies confused because they they're just a drunken mess most of them. Even when you're thirteen. Even when you're thirteen, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's that's all I've got to say. Has anyone else got anything more to say on the on on that particular goal, on that particular moment? I'm still lost for words. <laughs> <laughs> with with monkeys. <laughs> what colour was the tie when you were um when you were going out on as a thirteen year old in, in nineteen eighty six or whatever it was? What colour was um, the tie? What were you doing? I believe what was, it was, what it was going through your head. It was red and blue diamonds. Okay, I could, I could check. I could check and, the tie. How diamonds, tall would you have been? About five foot. No, I was I, when I was when I was when I was younger. I used to play centre half. Hence why I played centre half in that that charity game. Because you're about to tell me that you were tall for a thirteen year old, and therefore you look like no, you no. I was about I was about I was about the same height. I was about a normal height for a thirteen year old. I was probably about about five three, five four, and then ended up being uh, when I when I grew up, I ended up being five five. You know, I grew sort of two inches in about four years. Uh, in the same way that Sam was about six foot two when he was at school, I ended up being about six six. But he didn't really grow an awful lot. There were some people just shoot up, don't they? You know, and that's all age. And I'm a bit of a growth spur. I, I certainly didn't. See what's Guinness, mate. Yeah, stunts your growth. <laughs> <laughs> right, should we move on then to the, um, to the next clip? I think the next clip will be, um, will be my clip. Um, the clip that I brought to the Totem Bar for this week is, um, it's an ice hockey clip. Actually, I, we, we've not discussed ice hockey before. We, we've got a certain disdain for American sports on this podcast. So I'll just keep bringing them. Um, it seems, it seems like I can't get enough of them despite I hate them. Um, so effectively in this sport, you've got, um, you've got two squads of players. Um, in ice hockey. And then you've got, um, an alternate member. They're called netminders, but we'll call them goalies. You've got an alternate goalie who's in the stadium. So that if your first choice keeper gets injured and then your second choice keeper gets injured, this alternate keeper can play for either side. He's a completely neutral player. He doesn't have to play for, for, um, the Blackhawks who he comes on for in this team, but he is employed by the Blackhawks. So the guy's called Scott Foster. He'd been an alternate netminder for the last sort of two years with the Blackhawks. During his day, um, during the day job, he's an accountant. Um, he'd been there for two years. He'd never, ever got anywhere near the ice. Um, and in this clip, he's 36 and he's coming on because of the injuries to the two goalkeepers, um, that the Blackhawks have suffered. So he's 36 making his NHL debut. Um, which is, which is amazing. I think, I think to make your, your debut in those circumstances is, is, is quite remarkable. Ollie, what did you think? So I watched this clip a good number of times. He's better than Ansi Jacola. He's absolutely fantastic. Why, why has he not played for a team before? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that because he is, he comes on. So what this clip doesn't show you is that during the, when, when he was warming up, the, the Blackhawks come, he came on during like a TV break 
and the Blackhawks players were sort of um, firing shots at him. They, they sort of fired seven or eight shots at him, and he conceded every single shot. So then the, they were like, do we like Johnny just pack this in and we'll just get on with the game? And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's get on with the game. And then he goes on to, to save sort of seven or eight shots consecutively, and then they go on to win the match. Um, so, so even like how he must have been nervous anyway. And then having conceded eight, you know, seven or eight shots in the warm up, he must have been thinking, I do not belong here. I do not belong. So what you're saying is if the other te- team would have had a goalkeeping injury, it'd have gone on for them as well. Yeah. It, obviously, if he hadn't already played for, for the Blackhawks, he would have gone on for, um, the other team. He's a neutral player that's in the stadium. I think it's quite, quite a cool rule, quite a quirky rule. Can you see it it's catching fucking- on? Fucking ridiculous, if you ask me. Well, I think I think it could. A what it reminded me of was the 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 dream. You know, when you're sort of seven or eight and you go there, and you wear to, to watch the Rovers and you wear your full kit. Some kids wear their shin pads and they go on and they dream of you know their manager completely overlooking the bench of you know employed substitutes and the dream is to come on and play for him. That's what it reminded me of, and that's why I love the clip so much. And, and obviously, do really well. But yeah, I think it could catch on. It. I think rugby's a good sport for it. I think the the reason I think that it would, might work in rugby is um, if you're going to be cynical in rugby, you just take the front row off of your, of your scrum. Because if you get an absolute smash in the scrum, you then get an uncontested scrum. So if you've got a front row specialist who can come on, you know, say you've got like a front row injury. If you've got a front row specialist who's neutral, can play for either side, and all they all they're amazing at is is being in the front row in the scrum. That sort of stops the the cynical nature of the uncontested scrums. So I think it, it, it is a rule that could have its it's places in other sports, but yeah, I just think it's a uh, it's a good rule. It's a great clip. It's um, and it, I think it's quite funny. Andy, what do you think? Oh, first of all, I thought I just think why not just get? I mean, the Americans are the fattest race on the on the planet. Just get a fan out. I mean, let's be honest, the goals are so small. We just get some like nineteen twenty stone fat American and just wedge him in between the goal. And there's no chance of them scoring, is there? So let me have an advance on that. So what you're saying is basically it could catch on maybe, and then you're at the point where you're down the Rovers on a Saturday afternoon and you pull Monksy out the platform. Then. Yeah. <laughs> to although, although in a football goal, you'd have to be quite big to fit it. But there's ice hockey goals are like the size of like my television. Shopping I mean, so what, what, what about Just get a fat bloke in goal and you won't get past him, will you? There's I mean, quite a few of those down the Rovers ground. <laughs> I, t- I tell you what it does remind me of actually I'm probably not going back too far actually um, I know, if you go back into the, the, the early 90s late 80s they never used to have um, a fourth official um, at games and I have been to a, a couple of games where the linesman or the referee has got injured and then you get an announcement on the um, the tannoy is there a qualified referee in the in the stadium um, and you, and you get some bloke come out and literally run the line. You know, so you could have a Rovers fan coming down, like, running the line at, at the, um, at the Mem, you know. The difference, I, I, <laughs> the difference here is that, firstly, everyone in that stadium will know the rules of the game. So everyone in the stadium will know the rules of football. So could come on and, and, and realistically be a linesman will know the offside rule. This guy is coming on in the first, like, the premier division. This is effectively, a guy at 37 is sat in the stands. Edison's just got injured. I don't know who's Man City's second choice goalkeeper is. But say Edison's, he, he's, he's had a car crash, he can't play. Bravo's come on. He can't play because he's just been injured in the game. And it's literally like plucking a fella out of, out of the crowd, coming on and playing in the Premier League at 37 as well. It's unbelievable. It, it peps Willie, the reserve goalkeeper. 
No, he's at Chelsea now, isn't he? Oh, he's got Chelsea. He's Frank's Willie now, is he? I've not got a response to that. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not having it. I think that's a stupid rule. I mean, A, how does a goalkeeper get injured in ice hockey anyway? Yeah, well, you it's, covered in, it's covered in pads. He doesn't run around. He's not doing anything apart from just lying there, literally. So how the hell does two of them get injured in one game? Well, firstly, the first goalkeeper got injured playing soccer. Um, so he wasn't injured in this game. And secondly, the other, the other goalkeeper takes a blade to the calf, which doesn't happen in many sports. Uh, I think, I, I think they should take a leaf out of football's book and put the centre forward in goal or something. That's always brilliant in it. You know, when Mark McChrystal went in goal for, for, for Rovers that time, you know, it's fantastic. And the fans get behind it every time he saves it, everyone goes mad. Which I know is what they did in this, in this clip, but. You know, uh, not for me. You can't be getting random people play. I can play for any team. He's getting randomers playing. He is employed by the club. It's just, I just, I just think it's. Yeah, but he could be employed by the club and then go and play against them. How stupid is that? Yeah, that bit's a bit that's a bit funny. He, he clearly what? wouldn't be neutral. Yeah, but that's what I was going to say. Whilst it is quite a quirky rule, I do like in an idealistic world, I do tend to agree with you. But say he goes at the other end and he's he's employed by one team gets drafted in to play goal for the other team and lets one for his legs, there's going to be questions that he's let it in on purpose. This, that happened. That happened at the um, this year. I was reading up on this and that, that happened this year. I think the same team was involved, but the guy, the, the, their current, because um, this happened in 2018, their current um, alternate netman or whatever they're called, um, which is a shit superhero title, isn't it? What are you, Batman? What are you, I'm <laughs> netman? <laughs> uh, that's actually, that could be a way of spicing it up. If the keeper gets injured, the net signal is projected onto the uh, the ledger centre. Comes comes in like that's like flying in. Like that. Oh, it's hoisted down from the ceiling on a pulley system. Obviously, then, like you said, this this actually has happened in football. Just suddenly thought about it. You said about you know somebody coming in playing in goal, obviously employed by the other team. Chucking him in left, right, and centre. We all puddy. That's what he was doing at Wembley outside in the, in the playoff final. My God, love tearing out his tearing out his goal. I thought it'd be a good idea to rugby tackle the bloke. No, he yes. didn't. No, he didn't. He stopped the ball with his hand. Yeah, so, with his hand. Sorry, yeah. And then he rugby tackled him. Yeah, I've got a buddy up at university who's a big Grimsby fan. And it, he still genuinely is rustled by that to the day. It's handball and it's red card. Yeah, a million I, times. I, but that's the thing, I can never argue with him, so I'm, I'm not arguing with him, but he just feels so annoyed about it. They still had, they still had, what was it? That was in a sick minute. So they still had something like 114 minutes to, to, to beat us. It's not, it's not like, and Will Putty's our worst player. So it's not like if he got sent off, we'd be in a worse position. No, but the only thing I'd add is we were already 1-0 down, so we would have yeah. been 1-0 down, down to 10 men. I, one, we weren't coming back from that, I didn't think. No. no I, actually, funny to say that about being rustled. I'm still rustled by bloody 1990 um, Freight Rover Trophy game, whatever it was, we played Tranmere when Carl Saunders was clean for on goal, and Mark Hughes, not the Mark Hughes, but Mark Hughes, he did literally rugby tackle Carl Saunders when he's clean for on goal. And Les Shapter, see, I even fucking remember the bloke's name, the referee, didn't send him off, only gave him a yellow card. And then 10 minutes later, Mark Hughes goes up for a corner and scores the fucking winner. Not that that annoys me at all. 
Hey, you sound really, really measured and balanced about it, mate. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, would you rather have that referee or Brett Huxtable? Um, I, I think I would rather have um, a massive bloke bum me at the ass than have um, Brett Huxtable, to be honest. Uh, quite, quite obviously the worst referee that's ever graced the earth. And when I watch Brett Huxtable, I do wonder how I never made it. You say, you say, just, just, just take you back a second. You say, bomb you up the ass. Where else is a, is a massive bloke likely to bomb you, mate? Say that again. You say you, you'd rather have a massive bloke bomb you up the ass. Where, where else is a massive bloke likely to bomb you <laughs> if he's going to bomb you at all? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, but let's see, that's what Brett Huxwell does to me, you see, he makes me just think, you know, oh, I mean, he, he makes scale now. Brett Huxwell makes Trevor Kessel look like, um, Kalina. I'm gonna, everything, everything now going forwards, I'm gonna be like, so Andy, what do you think of this clip? Was it Brett Huxtable or was it a big bloke bumming you up the bum? <laughs> Bad. Oh, that might have to be cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You, you, watch, you watch Brett Huxtable when he's, when he's refereeing and you're just waiting for him to do something stupid. You're just waiting for it. You, you know it's coming, you know. It's, 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 it's a bit like watching, you know, somebody like a, you know, it's a bit like watching David Luiz play football, isn't it? You're waiting for the, something stupid to happen. You know it's coming. It's going to happen at any point uh, in the in the 90 minutes. He could be having quite a good game, and then he goes and mucks it all up where there was something completely daft. So you've got you've got Jerry on the, on speed dial every time you see Brett Huxtable refing or, or David Louise on the telly. Here, Jerry, it's happening again. You have to you have to come <laughs> over. I need you to bum me tonight because David Louise is playing for Arsenal. Oh, ours. Oh, see what I did there. Lovely stuff. Come on over, Jerry. Oh. The thing is, it's, it's it's not even just us that thinks it. You know, I, I, I've spoken to Leakey. Um, it's not even, I don't think that. I, I'd rather Brett Huxley referee than, than a massive fella bum me up the ass, by the way. So, so it's just, just putting that on record. Well, yeah, but even Leakey said, you know, about, you know, because he, because I said to Ollie the other, the other day, actually, when we had him, um, and he, he, he lives in Torquay, which is why we get him so often. Because obviously he's quite close to travel. So Newport get him a lot, hence why Leakey goes on, and oh no, ter- terrible, terrible referee. Do you know my main issue with Brett Huxtable? Is that he's obviously... he's alive? <laughs> is that, is that he's, he's not obvi- a massive man coming up the arse? Is that he... Part, kind of, is that he's massive and he's too fat and he doesn't move out of the centre circle. Yes, he doesn't see correct. Him. doesn't see anything. Mean, I've... I know what the, the fitness test is like. How that bloke passes it every uh, year is, is beyond me. I mean, he must roll, I reckon. Roll around the door. He can't run. He just does it in a perfectly circular room. <laughs> it just flies yeah, around the room. Yeah. It's like a wee ball. He just wobbles around the room, you know. So, Andy, in the next section of the episode, on Brett Huxtable, what do you think? Oh, the bloke, the bloke just does... Well, no, 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 I'm getting get annoyed now. Move on. Right, so that's ice hockey covered. Fire <laughs> 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 uh, Andy's arse. Fantastic. <laughs> So we'll move on to the third clip of the episode in a moment. Um, coming up shortly as well, we've got feature uh, Lester, questions for Lester. We've also got the fixture memory man, and we're going to end on a, a lovely game. This week's game pits Andy versus Ollie. Did Andy win last week? Because I've obviously lost yes. the end. Andy won, yes. and it's just 2-1 currently. 
So and it could be could be a tie. Could be could be back. You know, it could, could be coming also, back. This could also be my last episode on Tote and Bar Pod. If I lose to Muxy, I'm not losing to that idiot. <laughs> And and next week's guest is Brett Huxtable. <laughs> yeah, do you reckon we'll be able to get him on? Hi, Brett, you fat bastard. And, <laughs> Andy's, off this week. Andy's off this week getting bummed. Can you come in and be our co-host? <laughs> yeah. If you can weeble yourself, we'll, we'll give you lots of KFC, huh? Why you get him in? Yeah, if Totem Bar was to be sponsored by KFC. Sponsored by KFC? I do reckon Monksy could potentially turn into a vigilante down Torquay trying to spot Brett Huxtable coming out of the local Weatherspoons or something. I bet, I bet, I bet he was in there. I bet he was one of the ones queuing up, like yesterday, when those people used to get in. I bet he was down there, looking for his, looking for his burger and pint. Fat prick. Do you reckon, uh, do you reckon James Brace is going to be really happy to associate himself with this podcast? <laughs> but to be fair, when he was on, we were quite serious. Yeah. It threatened to break out a couple of times we asked a few, uh, like when I was asking about the hat, and yeah, I think you said a question about some of that, and I thought we might, but we did say quite professional. It's a professional operation. He, we, I think we only just scratched the I think if you get a couple of beers in him, you kind of see what he really thought about about Ghana and Rovers, and he, 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 about cricket. He has to be professional. He can't jeopardise, you know, getting selected by England. He can't say anything about the ECB. We can't talk about the um, the cricket documentaries and stuff that we'd already spoken about because we slagged off the ECBs. So he, he, he can't. He can't say any of that sort of shit, but when it came to Rovers and he was just a fan, it was quite obvious the, the passion about football he had and the, and the, he wanted to just, just, just give a little bit of needle. I, I got that. You know what I really wanted to ask him and I bottled it because I didn't know what his response would be. Would you bend me at the ass? No, about what Archer did, about breaking the bio bubble. I was going to basically say, did that annoy people in the England bio bubble that played by the rules all the way and stuff? Because I know it annoyed the West Indians, but I didn't want to ask him. And he, I, I probably should have he asked probably him. Probably quite likes it. He probably quite likes it because it might give him a chance to play. Because obviously they could play then, could they? So he went at the pecking order a little bit. Well, I'd, I'd be pretty pissed off if I was abiding by the rules and some bloke just did what he wanted, broke the rules, and then come back yeah. in. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Really bad. But right, next clip. Move on. Right, so we're moving on. If you stop. Making all these fucking jingoistic. I know Nigel Farage's on the, on the screen, so all you're going to do is Brexit <laughs> yeah. Brexit, and you have to yellow everyone like Nigel Farage does. But Ollie, we're going to move on to your clip now. What have you brought to Totem Bar? So this week I have brought to the Totem Bar the clip of Andy Murray winning Wimbledon for the first time. This was a long-running thing for a number of years. Britain hadn't had a winner of Wimbledon for a lot of years. And it, Murray was in and out. He was probably one of the best players in the world, and he finally did it. So I thought it was quite a good clip to bring because it was quite a lot of emotion in it, and you could see what it meant to Andy Murray. What did you think about this clip, Muncy? Um, I'm not a huge tennis fan, um, but I do watch Wimbledon, and I did watch that that final. Um, I was supporting Andy Murray, um, obviously. He won, so he, you know, good, good performance. Really enjoyed it. If he'd have lost, it'd have been the Scottish prick. Um, but he won, so he's a British hero. So you're right. What do you think, Luke? For I, I've got a question to ask you. Yeah, um, you know, it's one of those you, you, where were you moments on it for um for that. I um 
I watch I, I watch every every match that Murray plays in at, at, at Grand Slams. I watch the um, U.S. Open when he lost in straight sets and didn't win a single break point. He didn't even force a single break break point um, a few weeks ago. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've watched that. I've watched. I think I've watched basically every um, every Grand Slam match that he's played for probably the last you know probably since at least two thousand and eight, two thousand nine. Um, so yeah, I, I've, um, I'm a massive fan of Andy Murray and, you know, this moment in particular meant a lot because of where I was and, and who I was with, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, yeah, I thought, I think it's a fantastic clip. It's a seminal British moment. I think it was 77 years since Fred Perry when it won the, um, won Wimbledon until, um, until Andy Murray did. I think he, I think Andy Murray's the best sports person this, these aisles have ever produced. I think he's the best athlete. I think he's, He's absolutely remarkable. I think he's a remarkable person, and I think it's a it's a great clip and a great choice and overdue. I think on this on this podcast. So you've kind of answered that in my next question about: Do you think the media have um, treated Andy Murray quite badly? They they portray him to be really boring, also as as looking himself on Scottish more than English. I've never heard that specifically come out of his mouth. Well, he said. He said right at the start of his career, he said, um, you know, will you be sporting England during the World Cup? And he said, no, I'll be sporting whoever England are playing. A bit of banter, showing a bit of personality. And the, and English people, you know, have, have killed him for that and have said, oh, no, how can he be like that? He's a, he's a British athlete. He should be. But he's shown a bit of personality. He's shown who he is. And I think the media, the media belie and the media bemoan and they cry all the time about not having characters in sport. Andy Murray comes out. He's, he shows a bit of emotion in, in his... Um, in, in the way he plays, he shows a bit of emotion in his, his press conferences right at the start of his career. A bit of emotion, a bit of attitude, a bit of arrogance. And the British media have been crying out to that, saying, oh, why, why are other countries producing this? You know, why do we have to look to the foreign people to, to have the personality? Well, the reason you do that is because as soon as Andy Murray comes out, you've got British people killing it, or English people especially killing him for saying that about the World Cup. It's just standard banter. Who, who you know, if, if you were to ask Monksy or yourself, Ollie, you know, are you going to be supporting Wales in this tournament? And you, you know, your answer would be no. I'll support whoever Wales are playing against. It's it's pretty standard banter. And I think Murray's been the victim of quite a jingoistic, quite a quite a quite a bad press. And I think he has got a genuinely really bad press. I think the um, have you, have you seen his his Amazon documentary resurfacing? Resurfacing. Either of you watched that? So no, I've not watched that. My opinion of Andy Murray changed. I don't know if you remember. It was about two thousand and eight. I want to say it was. James Corden, sorry, did a sport relief comedy sketch thing and he was basically going around taking the mickey out of um, professional sports people. He did it to Jensen Button, Wayne Rooney and he did it with Andy Murray and he's basically beating Andy Murray whilst doing an ice sculpture at the same time. Genuinely really funny. You can tell Andy Murray is absolutely loving it. That's when my opinion of Andy Murray changed and I realised that he was genuinely just getting a bad press and actually, he is actually Good, a good, he's good crack. But you also, what's that resurfacing documentary? It's fantastic, and it shows an athlete. It shows an athlete who has put his body through. Because what he's not got is the natural talent of someone like a Djokovic or, a, or certainly a Federer or a, or a Nadal. He doesn't have the explosive power over clay that Nadal hasn't, and the serve doesn't have the racket skills and the ball control of the Federer. But what he has is a body that was prepared to to allow him to go through hell and back, and the the ability to to return service that, that no one else, no British player ever has ever had. And certainly in, in the world at that point, no one was able to return the, the service that, that Murray was able to. His defensive game was amazing. So you see, <clears throat> you see a bloke who is under pressure because obviously he's the, 
He's, he's the British number one. Um, we're a country that isn't particularly good at tennis. Um, and he's, he's won Wimbledon and he's won, he's won the US Open. He's under pressure from that. He's under pressure from himself. You see an athlete whose body, whose mind is still, I'm, a num- I'm the number one. Because when he, when he got his injury, he was the number one player in the world. His mind is still, I'm the number one player in the world. And his body is it, it, falling apart beneath him. And you just see that the way that he deals with it and the way that his journey through, you know, he retires during a documentary and then comes out of retirement. I think he's, he's fantastic. You know, he's also been in the crowd at Mock the Week. He, he can laugh at himself. He, his personality, I, I genuinely think he's been a victim of a, of really, really bad press. And I think he's a, he comes across as a, as a lovely bloke. I've never actually seen anything that he's ever done that's gone, oh yeah, he shouldn't have said that. Yeah. You, you, you very rarely see any scandals around his name, which I think says it all really. I don't remember, apart from like a, a bad press where, yeah, people have offered really bad takes on him. He's never even given the press any ammunition to to hammer him. I, I don't think. Not maybe I've missed it, but I, I don't think he's even even given the press any ammunition. They've just outright slandered him. Well, it was right at the start of his career, as I say, when it was the um the thing that did it for him was the the, the Scotland. You know, who are you gonna who are you gonna support? Are you gonna support England during this World Cup? You know, and and he said no, I'll support who they're playing. That was the bit that he, he says it himself was a bit that the backlash that I got from that. I just I just went in and gave sort of. One word, two word, two sentence answers to their boring questions because I don't want to put myself out there to be criticised. Yeah. I'm not that. I'm not that bloke. I'm not. I'm not a knobhead. But I can't be bothered with the with the aggro that comes of it. And he also, he's pretty amazing with the women's tennis. You know, the Djokovic scandal at the minute that he's set, he's setting up his own tour because he doesn't think the women should be paid enough. You know, there was that um, that question that the American supporter asked about the um, I can't remember the guy's name there. The, the American tennis player. Who reached the Grand Slam final? And he said, oh, "This is the first American player to reach the final, reach the Grand Slam final in 30 years." And Murray's like, "It's the first men's player." You know, he's very quick to say, "You know, the women's tennis is on a is on a par with," and he's very much a, a women's tennis is he's, he's on equal with the men's at, at the very least. Um, and you know, he, he teamed up with with um, Serena and Venus Williams and has played double doubles with them down the years. And he he comes in and he he's happy to play second fiddle to the Davis Cup captain and. And carry that team over. You know, he's a real team player, and he does a lot for the sport. I think he's a brilliant ambassador of British sport. I think he's amazing. I, I do completely agree. <laughs> Muncie, have you got any other thoughts on Andy Murray? Um, not 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 really. It's not one of these guys that really annoys me. I I, I support him when he when he's playing. Um, you know, he's obviously a very very fine athlete. I wouldn't go as far as Luke's as to say he's the best athlete. This country has produced. He's probably one of the fittest, I would say, because to play tennis for three, four, five hours as some of his games have gone on, then that takes some doing. Um, but yeah, he's 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 a bit a bit vanilla to me, as you say. He's not one of these guys that is going to go and make headlines. I do say get absolutely pillarized for saying about my England is ridiculous. I mean, I I will support Wales when they're playing. Um, and I support Ireland when they're playing against, you know, everybody apart from England. You know, I quite like the home nations to do well. I think we had the conversation, didn't we, when we, when we had the Newport boys in about, you know, wanting the home nations to do well. But I do draw the line at Scotland. I want Scotland to get hammered and everything. That's what, Luke, I'll be honest with you. When you came out with the statement a couple of minutes ago that Andy Murray is the best athlete Britain's produced, at first I thought that's I don't personally agree with that. But the more I think about it, he's quick, he's powerful, he's agile. Hand-eye coordination is amazing. He's fit. His hand-eye coordination, outstanding. 
name name a better name another athlete that has got all those skills in his locker or her locker. I would, also, I would also just caveat that slightly with yes, there, there will be British Olympians that certainly in the last thirty years have also achieved amazing things. But you've also got to remember Andy Murray is picking up Grand Slams off you know Djokovic, who is likely to be the most decorated tennis player of all time. Nadal, who is the second most decorated player of all time, and Federer, who is who is the best player of all time. You know, he's competing against those three. Um, at Grand Slam finals, and he's getting to finals all the time, and he's also winning finals. It took him, I think it took him eight attempts to win a final, but, um, you know, he's still in and around that mix, and he's still up against the, probably the best three tennis players of all time, certainly of the modern era, and he's, he, he's, he's picking up wins, and when you factor in the competition, if you're gonna put like a, an index on it, and, and a competition sort of scale, I don't think British, other British athletes, or, you know, you can even include football teams in this, are competing against the the ability and the and the the, the, the generation and the sport finding players that Murray is competing against and beating, plus all the all the technical attributes and the physical attributes he got. I think it's the best ever. I genuinely do. The the only other athlete that I can think of off the top of my head, without doing any thinking about this for a while, would be Jess someone like Jess Ennis, who is quick, is powerful, is strong by the very nature that she competes in multiple events. Sports are pr- a tennis story is a pretty unique event where you need so many different skills in order to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You've also obviously you've got Denise Lewis who came before her. Um you've got the um who was the the decathlete, the British decathlete who won who is it um Daily Thompson. Yeah, Daily Thompson. I think I think Daily Thompson is probably the only other um Athlete who I, who I would listen to and think, do you know what? I, I genuinely, I genuinely could see him going down as the best British athlete of all time because he he was amazing. But um, for me, it's those two, the, the, the women's athletes as well. You have got Jessica Ennis Hill, as you say. Um, you've got um, Paula Radcliffe was amazing, but you know didn't need the didn't need the strength um, skills etc. But as I say, for for British pound pound British athletes, I, I can't see many better than than Daley Thompson and, and and Andy Murray. And I think for me, Andy Murray wins that. Wouldn't um, Andy Murray's longevity go against him there? I don't know. He's had, what is he, 32 now, and he's had 14 years at the very top of men's tennis. He got to world number one, he was there for a year. I, I don't know about that. No, well, I'm thinking, say, someone like Sir Steve Redway, for example, that you know, did multiple Olympics. You know, what did he win? Five, six gold medals with Rowan? You know, I think he'd have to be out there as one of the greatest. He won um, five gold, six medals in total, didn't he? He won a silver. Yeah, you know, something like that, I think, is, is, is phenomenal. Um, you've got to look Colin at someone, I think, I think someone like Chris Hoy as well, you know, sort of like power and, uh, having different skills, you know, to, to ride a bike at the speed that they do. You've got to be quick, you've got to be strong, you've got to have stamina, you've got to have, you know, uh, I, I take your point with Andy Murray, you know, I, I, I really do. And he would certainly be up there. I just wouldn't put him top, you know. And, I mean, would you, when you're saying athlete, are you saying sports person as well or just athlete? Well, when you Google best British athletes of all time, right, this is, this is Google's order. So you've got, I've literally just Googled it. I'll, I'll, I'll show you the screen. Yeah, you've got Andy I'll Murray, number one. You've then got Steve Redgrave, Mo Farah, Lewis Hamilton, and Chris Hoy round out the top five. I I I know I know you and I. Yes, but are, are you saying sports person or just athlete? I, I think I think athlete, therefore sports person. 
But the, the reason I would go with Andy Murray is that he has to have all the physical attributes. He's quick, he's strong, he's agile, plus he has to have that hand-eye coordination as well. That's and so, the mental. Yeah, and the mental side of it, that Steve Redgrave doesn't have to have. He has, doesn't have to have a hand-eye coordination or a... Or no, but then, but then Redgrave had longevity, didn't he? He was doing it for, for a lot longer than what Andy yeah. Murray did. That's my question around around that. You know, really? um, but as I say, I think if you're going to go along sports person, I said it the other week, Phil Taylor is the best sports person I've ever seen. He's multiple, 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 multiple world champion. Yeah, we've not had anything. Like, what was it? Was he once 12, 13, 14 world titles? Ridiculous. Um, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Stephen Hendry, and Snooker. No, they're not necessarily athletes, these people. Hence my question. They no, don't need to be supremely fit to play these, play these particular sports. But there's different skills, isn't there? You talk about mental tactics, um, having the, um, the willpower, if you like, to get up and practice and practice and practice and practice. What is probably quite a mundane thing, let's be honest, you know, chucking darts at a board or hitting balls around a table. But to do that seven, eight hours a day, seven days a week, you know, Phil Taylor would say he would do it, he would practice on Christmas Day because he was in the middle of the World Championships. You know, that is dedication. I'm not sure you see Andy Murray whacking tennis balls around on Christmas Day. But it's a well, different kind, a, a different kind of skill, isn't it? That's, that's the point, you know. They're not athletes as per se. They, they don't require to be super fit, but do have to be in tennis, you know. I think you've got, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to look at the two. You've got to combine everything. If you're looking at an index, you've got to look at the difficulty of the sport index. Certainly, I think tennis is up there. You know, not only your tactical ability and your technical ability, and then you might be a really good returner like Andy is, and you might be, you might be amazing on the baseline. And then you've also got people who are amazing at spin, massive, massive servers. So you've got to be able to cope with all the stuff that you're playing against too. But you've also got then got to factor in who you're playing against. Phil Taylor dominated for years because there was no one really against him because the world doesn't really play darts. There's only, there's only a few nations that, that did, certainly when he played. And he wasn't playing against any other generational talents. Well, well, as soon as yeah, the next generation, as soon as the next one, that's what I'm saying. As soon as he came in. As soon Michael as Van Gerwen, he had, he had at the end of his career, when he, at the start of his career, he had people like Dennis Priestley, he had Eric Bristow, obviously, you know, um, was an exceptional player, Eric, Eric Bristow. He had, um, you know, so he, at the start of his career, he was up against phenomenal darts players, and towards the end of his career, he had phenomenal darts players. Quite when, so he, what, what I'm saying is, he dominated when, at the start of his career, the, the players you're talking about were at the end of their careers, so he was, he was out on his own, and that's because there weren't the generational talents, whereas Murray hasn't had that. He's had, he's had the three best tennis players of all time playing against him for the whole time he's been playing, the whole time he's been at his peak, best players ever been at that peak. And, and Phil, Phil Taylor didn't have that. As soon as the next genera- generational talent came along, um, in, who's the bold fella? Van Gerwen. Van Gerwen Taylor, yeah. Taylor never won one again. Taylor never won one again. And that for me is why Taylor, uh, I get what he's saying about him. He's beaten Van Gerwen in World Finals. In World Finals. He has beaten like, I get what you're saying about Taylor because of the numbers that he won. But as soon as as soon as there was another talent on the scene, he was never consistent at winning them. So I, I don't think you can put him in there. Mm, I just I disagree with that. You know, he won multiple like the world title was shared around a little bit, but it was shared around in the in the middle years when he was dominating. You know, Adrian um, Lewis won world titles when he was dominating. Um, you know, there was uh, others. I think the American guy John Park. You know, there, there, there were other excellent darts players around. Just Phil Taylor was just so far ahead 
And that wasn't because the players beneath him were poor or average. Phil Taylor was just that damn good. You know, he was just on a different level that no one's ever seen before, you know. Um, and the same in snooker. You look at, you know, you had Steve Davis dominated and then Stephen Hendry come along. Obviously, now you've got, you know, but Ronnie O'Sullivan now is, is, I think, another genius. We say about difficulty in the sport. I think snooker's the hardest sport out there to play. Ronnie O'Sullivan is playing now against some of the best, best players ever. Judge Trump, um, Mark Williams, um, Stephen Murphy, Mark Selby. And yet he is still performing and performing and performing and performing at that, at that level and has done so for years and years and years and years. Yeah, but what I said was you have to combine the difficulty of the sport, so your darts and your snookers, you have to look at that index, then you also have to add into that the level of physical talent, mental talent, and, and the, the sort of the level of endurance needed to play those those games. And tennis is tennis is miles and miles and the current you know to be in the, the world number one tennis player is miles and miles ahead of what Taylor was facing. I've just looked at it. Taylor had a 15-year career at the PDC, and he won the world championship 14 times. So you're telling me, A, it wasn't shared around, and B, he wasn't playing it because no one played darts. You know, darts nobody, no one around the world plays darts. It's Britain and the Netherlands for the last 30 oh, years that have played it. There are more countries oh, now, and obviously there John are exceptions. Pa- John Park's Canadian, he won the world title. Um, the first nine data was, was done by a guy from the Philippines, I think. First televised daughter. So it there is are, played around them. Simon Whitlock, Australian, Mark Nicholson, uh, Mark Nic- uh, yeah, Nic- uh, Nicholson, Aussies. So it, it is, it's a little bit naive to say it's just British they play it. And even if it's, it's British, British, you've got the English, you've got the English, the Scots, the Welsh, the Irish, very good players, you know, look at, um, Peter Wright from Scotland, uh, Richie Burnett back in the day from Wales, you know. And then going back to snooker, at the moment, look at the number of top snooker players there are. You know, it's, this, this and, and, and Ronnie O'Sullivan is still, even at his age, he's still up there. All right, Judd Trump at the moment is dominating. And then Ronnie O'Sullivan's picking and choosing his tournaments, isn't he? So, Ronnie's even said himself, he'd have to lose both his arms to leave that move out of the top 50. So I, I, I don't, I, I see what you're saying and I understand why you, why you think the way you do. But for me, I, I think Andy Murray is, is, is ahead. I think that because I just think he's played in a more difficult era, in a more difficult sport to be at the top of for as long as he has been. That's just my, my opinion. That's your opinion. You're entitled to it. You're wrong, but it's your opinion. We've right. Done, are we moving on then to? We've done really well to get 25 minutes out of Andy Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so we're going to move on to Memory Man now. Ollie, you claim to remember everything about sport, ever. So I'm going to ask you, do you remember on the 6th of September... Well, that rhymed. Do you remember on the 6th of September, 1986, Sheffield United 1, Birmingham City 1? Yes, I do. Oh. Not caught him yet. He's good. He's good. I mean, it's just remarkable, really. He's too so good, good for me. So good. He's so too good. good for me. I mean, what's even more impressive is he would have been about two, wouldn't it? When that was coming. <laughs> Minus 14. <laughs> not even born. I mean, look at that. I mean, not even born. And he remembers it. It's amazing, he was, really. He was a tabloid around in his old man's sack, and he still remembers it. <laughs> right, so questions for Lester. Right, Ollie, are you ready for questions for Leicester? 
So ready. So, given you're in Leicester, in your student flat, do you consider dimmer switches fun, or is the mixer tap the main source of amusement? I'm going to have to go dimmer switches. Talk me through it. What's the decision? I don't know. You can have your own disco with dimmer switches, can't you? <laughs> Absolutely correct. Obviously, given the what's going on at the moment, I'm having 30, 40 people around every night, and I need to have those dimmer switches. They're essential. What, were, you what, in, what, were you in Yeet the other day? Was that you that, that organised that? Oh, yes. I'd like to... Were uh, they your dimmer switches? I'd like to ask everyone if they could possibly... I'll probably put the link in the uh, in the description below. I'm currently fighting a £10,000 fine. If anybody would like to help me out, please do let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Got a GoFundMe page. Too right. So, for breakfast, Ollie, do you have Cocoa Pops and milk because they're a bowl full of fun? Or do you do the normal Leicester thing and eat placentas from the bins outside the maternity hospital? Luke, thank you so much for that question, and I do admire your research. I couldn't finish that. <laughs> Are we going again? Yeah, go again. Uh, sorry. Sorry, I'll have to go again. Right, sorry. Right, let me have a look. <laughs> for breakfast, do you have cocoa pops and milk because they're a bowl full of fun, or do you do the normal Leicester thing and eat placentas from the bins outside the maternity hospital? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I think would make it even funnier? It's changed Cocoa Pops to Rice Krispies with a snap, crackle and pop. <laughs> okay, right, well, I'm going to go. Right. For breakfast, do you have Rice Krispies because you love snap, snap, crackle and pop? Or do you do the normal Leicester thing and eat placentas from the bins outside the maternity hospital? Luke, have you been outside the Leicester Royal Infirmary? That is a fantastic question. And this is why I love this section. We We truly do discuss the most intellectually stimulating topics. Obviously, I understand the listeners don't want me to think about this all night, and I probably would take all night if I could, because it's such a stimulating question. But I'm going to have to go for the placentas outside the Leicester Royal Infirmary bins. Yeah, I, I quite agree. What is it, Cocoa Pops, you know, on a happy day? You know, you've, you might have come home, you might have got a 2-1 in your, uh, in your essay, you might treat yourself to a chicken Kiev, and then the following day it's... Uh, it's a, it's a lovely bottle of Cocoa Pops or Rice Krispies, yeah? Oh, absolutely. I couldn't have put it any better myself. But your staple diet is the placentas from the bins. Yeah, and I'm proud you to say it. Do you put nice. sugar on them? Placentas, not the Rice Krispies. Admittedly, um, the um, sugar's probably optional. And did, did you do it? Pardon? I didn't quite catch that. You take some sachets of sugar along with you just to, to prepare and chuck them on the placentas, or is it a bit of sriracha sauce, spice it up a little? Actually, you are quite interesting about the sachets of sugar. I went down there, sort myself some out the other week, and I didn't quite take enough sachets of sugar. Wouldn't advise it without sugar. Do you, um, do, do you, do you advise shallow frying? Or, um, you know, or, or do you go for the more poached version? Or do you have a blue? No, so obviously, it's locked down at the moment. I'm trying to watch my weight. I'm trying to stop uh, stop frying <laughs> too much fried food. I do try and grill them. Grill? Grill placenta? Ooh. Uh, and what are you serving it with? Well, uh, probably along the same sort of theme. I'm trying to cut out my chips, my fatty fatty products. So probably a nice couple of leaves, a bit of cucumber. Sounds lovely. Mushy peas and gravy. I think that would be way for 
Oh, stew it. Nice. Good idea. My slow cooker's broke. Oh, well, that's but is it, is it, This is getting far too serious, Miley. After you finish your breakfast, do you sit around, or do you eat pork battenbergs for elevenses, or do you just wait for the cow hoof pie that you eat in the little car park at lunchtime? Again, such, no, such a stimulating question. I'm going to have to go for eleven. the option at elevens is, because I do get starving hungry. Waking up at, like, 10.30 as a student, <laughs> by 11, I am, I've had my breakfast, by 11, I am starving. So you say a pork battenberg and then your cow hoof pie at about half past one? Yeah, probably quarter past, I struggle to see it through the half past one, to be honest. Yeah, 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 fair enough, fair enough. And the Lidl car park, you know, it's quite upmarket for Leicester, what, what, what makes you pick Lidl? Lidl, the most fantastic supermarket Germany has ever produced. They have transported it around the world. Tesco, Lidl, no comparison for me. Lidl, quite So that's questions for Leicester. I think we've learned a little bit more there about, about Ollie's lifestyle in, in Leicester. Um, I think we'll end the podcast here on, on a, on a game. Should we end it on a game? Oh, yes. Bugsy? Well, you know, I'm just still trying to get the other one consensual. There we go. Yeah, yeah, let's get on with it. I think this is all part right. of uh, his tactics, so you see, to sort of throw me off the scent after my, you know, fantastic victory in the last episode. He's now chucking in things like this, trying to put me off my fatches, and, um, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's sneaky tactics, but it's not going to fucking work, Dane, I tell you. We're now going to move on to our final round, which is the quiz. Um, I have not come up with a game of this so far. I'm going to call it Mapalan. Yeah, Mapalan. That's what we're sticking with. We're going to play Mapalan. Um, so it's Andy versus Ollie. Ollie is currently 2-1 up after Andy's victorious, um, first win last week in, uh, in last week's quiz. Um, this week, lads, we're playing a game that's going to test your geography skills. So what we're going to do is that the rules are, I've numbered, I've got six rounds, but we can probably just do three if there's any, if there's any, any of you two playing. Um, and what you need to do is I'm going to give you a country and then for every country you name that borders. So it's a bit like, you know, like, um, blockbusters. So say you went for country A, then you have to pick a country that borders that country. So country B, you then have to pick a country that borders country B. Keep going across the world if you can. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I, I randomly pick some, some countries at the start of the game. Um, and I've obviously then assigned them a number. So I'm going to ask who, who wants to go first. Andy, obviously you won last week, so you can pick who's going first. Um, I think it's always turn to go first, isn't it? I think. Okay, and if you get it wrong, I'm going to say this now. If you get it, if if, if someone gets it wrong, the other person can go for a steal, but they can only steal one point. You can't just go on and steal another ten points, and you get a point for every country that you get right. So. And there's six rounds. You know, is this like some sort of like test match? Well, I think we'll probably end up just doing three for for the the jeopardy. Um, right, I need to just grab some paper. Right, so Ollie, I need you to. That's not paper. No googling it, Oliver. Yeah, that's what. That's my main concern. Is do not bring up Google. Right, <laughs> my hands are here. I'm not googling anything. I also hope you've not got a globe or a map of the world in your room, Ollie. No, I'm looking at the curtain, mate. Well, given your politics, your globe would just be a big map of Britain, wouldn't it? Too right, mate. 
<laughs> so I take that. A big map of Leicester. <laughs> Just between here and the Royal Infirmary, I think. Right, so Ollie, I need you to pick a number between one and six, please. Can I go three, please? You can go for three, right. So I need you to now pick. So your country is Chad, right? So you now, you now need to go and um, pick a country that borders Chad, and then for every country that you then subsequently borders the next country, you will get a point. We're going to go for the first one here. Eh? I don't even know where Chad is. Get <laughs> rid of it. Come on, come on, Ollie. It's not difficult. Oh, well, it's up to you, but can I have a continent at least? Maybe I might have a chance in there. I don't know. We're not having clues. Oh, that, that's fine then. We won't get off the first one because I don't know where Chad is. Never heard of it. Yeah, but I can then steal it, can't I? That number yeah, one so Andy, Andy can steal. So you, you need to guess a country, mate. Okay, guess a country. And that borders Chad. Mongolia. No. <laughs> uh, no. No one near it. Um, right, Monksy, pick a country that borders Chad. Right, well, I'll be honest with you, I don't actually know definitely countries that border Chad, but I know at least know where Chad is. I believe Chad is Central Africa. Um, you, you, can only, you can only steal one, so just get it right. So I am going to hazard a guess. Nigeria. Yep. One point. There you go. Andy Steele. Uh, right, so Andy, I need you to pick a number between one and six. Uh, I'll go my old football number, number two. Two. Okay. Ah, oh, shit. Right, fine. So, you've gone for Mexico. Okay. So... I will say that the USA. Well, you backed yourself into a corner here, mate, because there's only one more country that borders the USA. Well, there isn't, actually. So, yeah, go on, the USA is one. You know, I've got to pick a country that borders the USA. I think somebody's mooted, Ollie. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to give your answer. Oh, it was it me? Well, I've got to say it, Ollie. You have, Andy. Oh, sorry, I do apologise. Um, I'm going to say Canada. Right, you've now got to pick the country that borders Canada? Uh, I will say... Russia. If it was 19... Like, 1904, you could have had Russia, but unfortunately <laughs> not. So, you've got a score of three. Um, right, Ollie, pick a number that isn't... Two or three. Sorry, three or... Oh, yeah, two or three. You've got one, four, five, or six. How the hell did I turn up with Chad and he turned up with... He turned up with Mexico? It's random because numbers, mate. It's a number. <laughs> they should all be a similar standard of difficulty. They are. Right, come on, pick a pick number. One, four, That's five, six. or six. Six. Eh? Six. You've gone with Uzbekistan. India. <laughs> India, the diamond in the crown, the king of the subcontinent. Oh, this is easy. Come on. Pakistan. I'm going to tell you where India is. No, you could Pakistan. string up two continents here. Pakistan. You've gone Pakistan, correct. What borders Pakistan? Syria. Syria? Yeah. Nowhere near it. I mean, <laughs> thousands of miles away. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you afterwards, but Andy, you get a chance to steal a point. Uh, I'll say Bangladesh. No, it doesn't border Pakistan. It borders India. Ooh. Oh, actually, does it? No, it doesn't. It is, yeah. So, 
Uh, it's, it's currently 3 1, and we're nearly halfway Ooh, through. I thought might have done. Yeah. Syria, mate, is in the Middle East. It's by <laughs> Turkey and Iraq. Alright, fair play. You could have gone so easy with India. You could have just gone China and then Mongolia and then Russia, and you're all the way back through the Middle East. So it's so Eastern Europe. Got to think tactically here. Right. So, you've, Andy, you've got one, five, or six to go. Oh, if my other football number, I used to wear number five. That is Turkey. Okay, Turkey. So we will go... Because you've got a few concerts to go to here, so I will say... I think. <laughs> I think he gets it wrong now. Got a few continents to go in for, and it goes for the wrong yeah, country. Yeah, I know because you because you could stand in Istanbul, isn't it? You could stand in two continents at the same time. Oh, it's, it's, oh. Um, I will say Morocco. No, <clears throat> wrong side. Yeah, Ollie, you got the chance to steal. How many can I steal? Just one. Just one. Yeah. Around. You need. What are we going for? Iran. Iran? <laughs> yes. Is correct. Yeah, absolutely correct, thank you. <laughs> Your reaction, the experience. Right. Yeah, I'm mad myself. Right, um, <laughs> I'm looking at the fucking map as well. Right, you've got one or six to pick from. No, sorry, hang on, what have you got? One, four, or six to pick from. I will have four, please. Four is... China. Big chance for big points here. Is now a good time to say I'm really short at geography? No, the, the bit when you didn't know where Chad was was a good time to say that. <laughs> do you want to know where China is? I mean, do you want to sort of explain where China is on the, on the map? Pakistan. Yep, Pakistan is one. It's show. India. India is two. Indonesia. Indonesia, famously a country of <laughs> islands. No, oh, yeah, but it's the next one across. It's an island, Indonesia. I can't border <laughs> there, there are thousands of islands, Indonesia. They don't border anyone. Well, that's fair enough. I scored two. That's better, mate. I just went back from the ones we did earlier on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we also had another country come up earlier on that you, you, you felt like too much Bangladesh. Hey, I can steal! Oh, bollocks, yeah, you can still, but you can't have Bangladesh. Yeah, you can't still now. Well, can I have Bangladesh? You go to Pakistan. No, he, he, he finished on India. Yeah. Yeah. You so you've now got Why can't I have Bangladesh? Well, because I've just said it. Okay, fine, pick a country that borders Bangladesh. There you go. That's fair, isn't it? Um. You've got three. Pakistan? No, it's the other side of India. You made this mistake last time. So it's 4-3. I think this is another final round, isn't it? What? For, uh, to Monkey, I'm assuming. It's 4-3 to Ollie at the minute. Fucking hell. Oh. Andy, you have got... I mean, you're going you're gonna to get... You could completely fuck, fuck yourself up here. Your answer is Spain. So, I am going to say... Portugal. Ah, oh, why have you done that? Because I can claim a point then, can't I? Then yeah, I but that's for all. Claim the draw. Claim the draw. You see, I'm in the GC mouth. He didn't, fan- <laughs> he didn't fancy going back up for Europe, did he? Well, because well, there's not so much that. Because if I go, I could obviously go for um, uh, 
to France and all that. But then there's a very good chance that when I get one wrong, you can steal it. I'm going to win, aren't you? So I've, I've gone defensive. So you're, so you're right. telling me you had the ball, you had the winning penalty, and you just decided not to score it? Yeah. I could have gone Andorra, couldn't I? And then France. And then, and then work my way up Holland, Germany, and all of that. But then the minute I get one wrong, you're just going to steal out of it. So I've just gone tactically, a defensive, you see, defensive minded. I'll take the away point, take the draw. No, so it's still 2 1. It's 4 all, but we're going to do a decider. Oh, oh. God. Bom, bom, bom. See, that's what I thought. See, play effective time. Yeah, but he's just deliberately sabotaged the game because he knew he couldn't finish it. Yeah, he has really. He has yeah. really. No, it's not tactics. It was his round. He, he could quite easily have gone Andorra, France, Switzerland, Austria, and gone all the way up through. But he has he's decided not to do that. Yeah, but you can only so, get three. You said you could only get three points, so we could have scored three and one. No, there was no limit to the points you could have got. There's, the only limit was when you stole it. Oh, but you yeah, can steal one. So and you would have stolen so it because we went to Europe, aren't we? So, so once he scored three, I can only score one, and he, I couldn't come back, could once I? Monksy got Monksy got Monksy scored three. He got one, which is Portugal, and you you were on four. He can't steal from Portugal because I'm boring now, is it? That's what I'm saying. He's deliberately done it. If he had scored four up through, I could only steal one back. Yeah. So he, he, he could have won either way, really, couldn't he? Yeah, no, you're right. Not very tactical, was it? What could I have done? You could have gone on as far as you want, got one wrong, and then Ollie can only steal one. So if you'd have got four right or three right... Oh, I, thought, I thought you stole all of them. Nope. No. There's four wrong. Uh, I thought, I thought maybe you got one wrong. You stole all the points. Uh, see that? Well, you didn't explain the rules very well, did you? There we go. Well, I did. Because Ollie got. Well, then, do, do the decider then. Right, the decider is the closest person wins. So I want you to write this down. And what we actually what we're gonna do? You type it in the chat, and then we'll both press enter at the same time. Okay. So I want you to guess, and the person nearest wins the distance in miles between Bristol and Coolier Cam. And, and where? Culiacan, which is Sinaloa, which is where Dorados play. Ah. So I'll wait, you type it in the chat, and then when when you're ready, I'll, I'll say three, two, one, and you both press enter. Long time to type in whatever number you're Right. Are you both ready to press enter? Yeah. Yep. Three, two, one, enter. Ollie, Ollie, you've got a 700. Is it Mexico, Ollie? 700 miles is it even like Scotland? <laughs> so, the correct answer, so Ollie Down has gone for 700, Monkey's gone for 1800. The correct answer is 5,400 <laughs> more miles. What's a Dorados? From what, Bristol. Not Darlington. <laughs> In miles. <laughs> So, hang on, how quick does a plane go, then? <laughs> but about 750 miles an hour. <laughs> Mexico's a good nine-hour flight, actually. You've got, you've, got go, it, you've got to go about 300 to get off the floor to just to stay in the air. <laughs> and you've still gone 700? Yeah, about four or five hours. <laughs> <laughs> about eight or nine hours, mate. A 700 miles on an airplane will take about, <laughs> at the most, 90 minutes. So, you know, just, just, just to get this right then, Ollie, you're not very good at, jo at geography. <laughs> you're not very oh, good at, um, at maps, are you? 
point, see, I'd actually argue that the last probably on you that I've managed to take you to extra time. Well, no, because I didn't understand the rules. If I'd have known that, I would have gone Andorra, France, Switzerland, as you say, and I would have won. But I thought you could steal all the points and I'd end up with nothing. <laughs> well, on that, on that bombshell, on that extra time win, he's forced extra time with the play goal and he's, he's won. I'm getting on the old Google in mind. What, let's check if it's 700 miles to Mexico. <laughs> 7,000 miles. <laughs> Did the closest zero? I don't think 700 miles gets you to the top of Scotland, mate. It, uh, I'm sure it doesn't. I'm sure, like... Hang on, I will Google it. I want 700 miles from Bristol. Let's have a look. So see. Bristol to Buenos Aires, uh, like Argentina, the capital, is 7,089 miles. Actually, well, that's quite close. Don O'Groats <laughs> is 645 miles away from Bristol. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but hang on. I actually meant to... I just... T- Dropped a zero off the end, that's all. Don't, don't start claiming that shit. And even then, you've gone miles over, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, but you've been closer than me, to be fair. Because I was about three. 700 miles to Mexico. I think 700 <laughs> miles to Mexico might be the, uh, <laughs> might be the, the episode be, title. That could be a song. <laughs> and I was only 700 <laughs> miles from Mexico. <laughs> I've got. 700 miles to Mexico, I've got. <laughs> and I'm in Bristol. Yeah, by the way, by the way when he says seven... to go. Hang on, to be fair to Ollie, um, I think he, you didn't really clarify that it was the Bristol, the Bristol UK. Could have been the Bristol in the US. How far is Bristol, US, United States to? That might be 700. That's 2,126 miles. Well, that's obviously what I thought you'd say. Well, about for 1,800. So, yeah. So, literally triple what Ollie put. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was very close, you see, so. So, did, can we clarify, did I win? No. You were close. <laughs> I'm still reckon, I, my finger just didn't tap down that third time on that zero button. That was all. Well, I'd buy that theory if he didn't go and say, how fast do planes go? It must take about 300 miles to get in the air. <laughs> In all seriousness, can we get rid of that bit? <laughs> no, no, that's not staying. <laughs> My God, gonna... the runway at Bristol Airport, three hundred miles long to get to get airport. <laughs> <laughs> My old man is going to crucify me, genuinely. <laughs> you you can it. I might, I might well, tell him to embarrass him no more. Don't bother watching the next episode. <laughs> I'm not in it. <laughs> come on, come on, boys. We're going to go. We're going on holiday to Spain. We're getting on at Bristol Airport. We'll be in the air by the time we get to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Stop off on the stop off on the service. It's on the M4 for a snack. You've <laughs> not shot it, have you? Mate? No, it's not only that I've lost the round; I've lost it in disgrace. I don't know what point you're trying to make. It must take about three hundred miles to get into the no, air. No, no, no. No, no. <laughs> no the point that I was trying to make. No, I was. My point is actually correct. That you have to be going at three hundred miles an hour to stay in the air. Any slower than that, and you you go towards the ground. Right. So if you've got to go at three hundred miles an hour to stay in the air. <laughs> It takes nine hours to get to Mexico. Yeah, that's it, where my thinking falls down. Absolutely. Let's <laughs> just make this fall down even further. I, I've i owned a couple of kites in my life, right? And I've never seen a kite fly at 300 miles an hour. <laughs> but when they go, yeah. They bloody, they, they bloody sparrows zooming around with 300 miles an hour. <laughs> 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 oh, 
those hot air balloons whizzing by at 300 miles an hour. <laughs> to be to, to be fair, though, is it the um, Peregrine Falcon? He he doesn't get far off that, does he? Apparently, I think the pigeons tend to fly at about two hundred miles an hour. So I think Peregrine Falcons are probably about two hundred and fifty, two hundred and seventy. Pigeons do not fly at two hundred miles an hour. Yeah, they do. Ra- ra- racing pigeons and homing pigeons fly at about two hundred miles an hour. Do they really? So yeah, so you've been you've been taking the piss out of me. Fair enough. It's wrong. You have to fight two hundred miles an hour. In a plane, yeah, probably. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like two hundred It doesn't take two hundred miles to take off, and it doesn't take an hour. <laughs> you have to. You have to be. Don't see the old pied wagtail wandering around and zooming past me at the speed of sound. Oh, that's sonic boom! I have that pied wagtail flying by. In a plane, obviously. I wasn't planning it by flying by swan, was I? <laughs> I, I think most planes go at about four or five hundred miles an hour. Oh, I think they go about seven hundred, don't they? Something yeah, like that. Seven hundred miles. Well, if they do it seven hundred mile an hour, you can get to the rod in an hour. Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Fuck the Rovers away games. We're going to go to Dorados every that's what I'm every saying. weekend. But you'd be up, you'd be up and down because it'd be three hundred miles to get up, three hundred miles to land, three hundred miles in the air. In the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a defeat. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. <laughs>